The Big Red Bench. Saturday and Sunday from 6 p.m. Cork's Red FM. Welcome to a special edition of the Big Red Bench Women in Sport podcast. I'm your host, Jeremy McCarthy, and you can follow me on Instagram and Twitter at JerMcCarthy74. On this week's show, to coincide with International Women's Day, our special VIP guest is Sonia O'Sullivan, who speaks to the Big Red Bench about her upcoming Cove 10 Mile Race. Cove Ramblers Women's Under-19 Manager and Cork City Women's Senior Manager Danny Murphy are on the bench to talk about their respective clubs. Cork and Mornabby LGFA Senior Captain Mauro Callan joins the bench to preview a St. Patrick's Day showdown with Kerry and we have a full review of all the latest Under-21 LGFA Championship action. Resident Red FM Formula 1 expert Sarah McKenzie Foley joins me to review the Bahrain Grand Prix. Munster Women's Rugby Chairperson Wendy Keenan is back to review all the latest provincial and international and school results and news. Munster Women's Hockey PRO Graham Catchball is all the latest Munster Women's Hockey EY League results, scores and updates. The bench's AFLW expert Mike Cran is back for another update from Down Under. And we speak to Michael White, husband of the late Irish Paralympics icon, Kay McShane. That's all to come on this week's special Women in Sport International Women's Day podcast. Hey, hey, hey. The Sonia O'Sullivan Cove 10 mile race is fast approaching, taking place on the Great Island on April 2nd, with large numbers set to take part. The Big Red Bench's Rory O'Hagan has been speaking to Athletics Royalty Sonia O'Sullivan herself about the race, her involvement in it, and what runners can expect on the day. Okay, the Sonia O'Sullivan Cove 10 mile race is happening very, very soon. It's happening on the 2nd of April, starts at 10.30, 10 miles to the beautiful town of Cove. I'm delighted to be joined by Sonia O'Sullivan all the way from Australia. Sonia, thanks for talking to us today or tonight or whatever time it is in Australia. Um, yeah, it's night time, not too late. Um, I'm a bit of a late bird myself though, so yeah. these uh, early morning races can catch me out sometimes. But Cove is not, it's not too early. I think it starts at, um, oh my gosh, I should know this now. <laughs> Half ten. <laughs> It's half ten, yeah. It's a nice uh, casual start there. I know I never have to get up too early for it. Mm. Um, and on April the second, so yeah, just over four weeks' time. Um, yeah, how long for, has it been running, yeah. Sonia? And like, how long have you been involved with it? Uh, well, it's been on for a good while now. Um, we actually took it over, I think, three or four years ago, um, including the one we missed, and we had a virtual event. Um, and so it was rebranded as the Sonia O'Sullivan Cove 10 mile race. And ever since then, we've, you know, we've, we've grown in strength in numbers and in, you know, everything that we have to offer for everybody who comes down on the day. Uh, we've had some great sponsors who've been on board all the time. Um, Spar have been behind us, you know, from when we really want to get it going and, um, Curie's BMW in Little Island and Merck and a whole host of local sponsors in Cove because it really is a great day out for uh, the people of Cove and for, you know, friends of mine who come to the town every year. And um, we've been very, very lucky with the weather in recent <laughs> years. Uh, we, we put in the order early for the weather. As soon as the, <laughs> the year before is over, we're, we're straight in. So hopefully we will have another good day again this year um, on, on April the 2nd. Yeah, fingers crossed. A lot of work done by Ballymore Cove AC in organising the race as well. Uh, yeah, so, I mean, there's so many hands on deck on the ground in Cove. I mean, they work like Trojans <laughs> non-stop. I'm, I'm, on, I'm on the uh, WhatsApp group and, um, you know, I can only contribute virtually most of the time. Um, but I, I do try to get home... Um, at least a week before and help out, you know, with the preparation for the event 
And then also um, at the end of summer when we're doing our planning and making sure things are in place. Um, but uh, yeah, no, it, it's working like clockwork these days. I think mm. everyone knows their job. And, you know, we get so many um, volunteers on the day to help out, including my own father comes down <laughs> and uh, he, he's well he's well able to manage the traffic down there and direct people where to go. Um, and we're appreciative of everybody who comes along on the day and helps out. Uh, last year we had uh, Jarlett Regan from Irishman Abroad, comedian, come along. Uh, I started coaching him. And um, so he came to do the run and absolutely loved it. And then we did a little bit of an impromptu comedy kind of um, gathering afterwards. And uh, yeah, we'd be hoping to do that again mm. this year. Um, and uh, he's actually training for the London Marathon. So anyone out there who's training for the London Marathon, you know, it would be a good test of your fitness to come along to Cove and join us. And uh, we'll have pacers as well for mm. all the different uh, times, you know, the Obviously, the course records are very fast. So we just have Joe um, from BMW will be leading the lead car uh, and taking the leaders on the roads around Cove. And um, yeah, and I think the, the course record is um, 56, wow. uh, just over 56 minutes for the women and just over 48. I don't know the seconds now exactly for the men. And there's... Um, there's a really good prize money, 400 euros for the winner and a 500 euro bonus for men and women if they break the course record. So it's a handy payday for anyone out there. And we really try to encourage, you know, Irish athletes to come um, because, you know, really, I really believe, you know, if we can support our home athletes as they, you know, all have, I suppose, bigger and greater races that they're aiming for throughout the year and help them out anywhere we can with their uh, with their training and preparations for that yeah um you mentioned it's a good test Sonia. it certainly is that i ran it last year um it's slightly hilly as you'd expect in cove but it's uh, uh, a fair test i suppose over 10 miles it is and i think you know there's more downhill than uphill so uh you know once you get <laughs> past through ballymore and uh, over the hills out there um and past the five mile mark it's it's pretty much downhill after that and it's a lovely run into the town and a nice run down um, into the town as well. It's a very fast downhill finish um, for anyone who wants to get their get their legs moving and really test mm. themselves out and have a bit of fun at the end and pass anyone in range. Um, it, it really is good fun. And uh, this year we're also on the day before um, we're going to have a, a kids event and we're linking in with the Daily Mile and the um, Cork Sports Partnership, and they're going to help us out with that. And um, because normally we have the park running cove every Sunday morning, and the day of the race, unfortunately, they don't get to run because um, it's just it's just so much going on, and uh, we need everybody to help us out. So this year we're going to have a kids event, a daily mile um, in the town on the Saturday, and uh, I as I'm speaking, they're they're in the planning of that so i don't know the exact details yet but hopefully we'll have details on that soon you know i thoroughly enjoyed it when i ran it last year unfortunately missing it this year but the atmosphere last year sonia no it was helped because it was a glorious sunny spring day down in cove as well but just the atmosphere around the town the atmosphere beforehand and on the course as well everyone from cove seemed to be out cheering everyone on um, oh, yeah. I mean, I think, you know, when you have a nice day, everybody comes out and wants to be a part of it. And, you know, all the local restaurants and cafes and pubs and even um, the um, 
the, the little things that set up inside in the promenade, um, all the the coffee bands mm. and the food things in there, you know, it just creates a lovely atmosphere. And we do have some bands out on the course as well. So the, the energy is there and people, you know, when, when you finish a race like that after you've put in an effort, there's just a great buzz about the place and everybody is in a good mood. And, uh, you know, both the runners and all the volunteers who get great buzz out of seeing people coming in and, you know, running personal bests and, you know, just having a great run out there. And, you know, there's nothing like the feeling you have after a good hard run. (laughs) (laughs) That is certainly true. And it's also a chance to race with some athletics legends. I mean, like you're going to be running in this. Rob Heffernan is probably going to be running in it as well. So it's a great opportunity for people to come along and run with the likes of yourself and Rob. Um, exactly, yeah. Rob, he ran the whole way with me last year. Um, you know, I was surprised he was able to run so well, you know, <laughs> come a walker, you know, <laughs> he's well able to run. So hopefully now he's, uh, he's kept up the fitness the past year and, uh, we, we get to run around again together this year. And I have David Matthews coming down as well. The, uh, former Irish 800 meter record holder. Mm. Um, he's going to come and have a run and, uh, Vinnie Mulvey, another great Irish runner. Um, so, you know, it's it's nice to have friends and, um, you know, older runners come along and enjoy the running and see them continue to enjoy running. And, um, you know, just to be a part of, of a great event and, you know, something for people to look forward to. So uh, I'm really looking forward to it. Um, I've, I've been training away here <laughs> as best I can. Um, and so anyone out there who is interested, they can register at uh, myresults.com. And you can go to the upcoming events or you can go to the Ballymore Cove AC Facebook page um, and running in Cork and event master. So there's lots of different links. I think if you just Google the Sonia O'Sullivan Cove 10 mile, you'll be directed to somewhere where you can click on a link and uh, register. It costs 25 euros, um, which is which is very good value yeah. because you get uh, an official chip time, uh, a mug. We've taken over the mugs from the the old Valley Cotton Ten Road Race. We've taken yeah, over yeah. the tradition of a, a mug, and uh, and very nice um, T-shirts that you can buy as well. Um, and the T-shirt color this year is black, and you'll see all the details of that if you can get yourself down to the web page. Yeah, last year's mug was absolutely top notch. You get a great cup of tea out of it, so I thoroughly recommend coming along just for the mug. I have to say, um, and it's for good causes as well, Sonia. Uh, the breakthrough cancer research, and uh, it's going to help with Ballymore Cove AC's juvenile facilities as well. So you'll be helping out good causes on the day too. Oh, absolutely! You know, we definitely uh, put the money back in to help the grassroots of Ballymore Cove Athletics. The the juvenile club is doing been great they've been uh, down at the Munster indoors there recently and uh, we've always got good representation in the county and Munster level and a few of the young girls have been up national level and cross country so um, yeah it's great to see you know the energy and the motivation up at the clubhouse and the track as we call it um, up at the Cove um, Community College where, where I did a lot of my running down through the years and um, I'd say most likely that might be where the uh, the kids' mile will be on, on the 1st of April as well. Yeah, it's going to be a very, very exciting day out. The uh, Cove 10 mile race happening uh, this coming April 2nd, starting at 10.30. Um, and as Sonia mentioned, you can go to uh, eventmaster.ie or myrunresults.com to register for that. Sonia, a pleasure talking to you as always. And very, very best of luck with the race. I'm sure it'll be a massive success. 
Thanks very much. The Big Red Bench. Saturday and Sunday from 6pm. It wasn't the best of starts for Cork City FC in the SSE Airtricity Women's Premier Division as the Rebel Army lost 6-0 to Shelburne in Talca Park. City boss Danny Murphy spoke to the Big Red Bench's Rory O'Hagan about their poor performance, expecting more from his players and Saturday's home fixture with Galway United. But first, I caught up with Women's National League of Ireland club Cove Ramblers under-19 head coach Anya O'Donovan. It was an historic occasion as Anya took charge of Ramblers women's under-19 team in their first ever Women's National League of Ireland under-19 fixture away to Treaty United last weekend. Delighted to be joined now for this very special Big Red Bench edition on International Women's Day by the Cove Ramblers under-19 manager and that is Anya O'Donovan. Anya, you're very welcome back to the bench. How are you? Uh, good, thanks Millinger for having me. Um, so, yeah, good to go. <laughs> Indeed, you're very busy. It's very hard to get a hold of you these days. Uh, you've basically, down through the years, anytime we've interviewed you, you're coming up through the coaching ranks, uh, involved with Bandon AFC for a long time. I know your experience with the West Cork Kennedy Cup and Gainer Cup squads uh, have have, proved, have been very, very positive. But what was it about the challenge uh, of being asked to take on uh, Cove Ramblers' first ever under-19 girls team and be the manager of that team? What was it that attracted you to the role? Um, I think, as you said there, my experiences with all the teams I've been in previously and like still to this day, I'm kind of double jobbing with the band of the FC senior men's and the Cove Ramblers and 19 girls. Um, but it's the challenge. Obviously, it's the next step for me as a coach. Um, and to be a manager of a national league team, no matter what level, is a massive um, honour. And to be the first person to do it for the under-19 girls down in Cove, it's something that I'm very proud of and to be part of that piece of history um, with the bunch of girls that have come in um, to play for Cove this year. Um, it was a challenge that I'm going to look forward to and a challenge that hopefully I can do Cove and the girls extremely proud of it. Uh, I have no doubt that you will. I've seen your co- I've seen your coaching, and uh, you love the game. You've got the qualifications. You've you've done all. You've you've come up through the ranks, on you and you've reached this stage of your career. Um, it is a step up, though. I would imagine under nineteen national league is not easy, and so it proved when uh, your first ever game for the Cove under nineteen. You took on Treaty United, but you got a positive result. Yeah, no, um, it is a step up for obviously myself as being the manager, and for the girls, um, some of them would have come through. Um, with Cove Ramblers last year under 19s or other national league clubs be it Cork City or Waterford um, but for majority of the girls it's their first time playing national league as well and um, travelling away to Treaty Munster Rivals for our first game as a team and first um, coming away with a point was something that on Sunday evening I was extremely proud of um, it proved the hard work in pre-season that all the girls have been putting in say as a team and themselves behind the scenes, um, that hard work does does get results and um, tougher tests do lie ahead. But as a group, we'll work together and work towards them. And um, I'm no doubt that it's the first of many points for this bunch of girls on the board. Yes, and uh, Cove have expanded because they were under-17. Uh, uh, they've entered uh, a team in the under-17 league this year. They're with the under-19s, and obviously they're looking to bolster um, their female ranks. And it's great to see, though, a female manager. There's very, very few of you on. You're no, nowhere near enough of you still. And it, as we speak on International Women's Day, um, you'd be hoping as well that some of the players involved and some of the players that you've come across over the last couple of years, that you might inspire them to pick up the bib and get the qualifications and take up what is a, a challenging but a very rewarding role. 
Um, yeah, no, definitely. And even a few of the players now themselves, um, which I'm absolutely delighted that they can do and uh, are coaching in their local schoolgirls clubs um, at different ages and different teams or even with the Cork Schoolgirls League uh, gainer squads. So it's something that I'm delighted that they can do um, because obviously you're not going to be able to play forever. So for them to start coaching at a young age, similar to what when I started coaching myself, and gaining that experience, both playing and coaching at the same time, in a couple of years' time, that's going to become invaluable to them. Um, and hopefully that, say, two or three years' time, that there'll be more and more females coaching in grassroots, but also in National League again. Um, it's only, I think, the start of how far women's football can go, and especially with the Women's World Cup um, this year. I think there's going to be so much more, say, girls take it up, be it coaching, refereeing, playing. Um, so there's going to be a massive positive effect from from that. Yes, very well said. And just finally, on that, on it's these are these are good times for women's international soccer, for women's national league soccer, and also for under nineteen and under seventeen. The the numbers are growing. Clubs like Cove Ramblers are getting behind the idea of fielding teams and seeing the benefit of doing it. But from your own point of view, what are your hopes and dreams for this particular season with Cove? Um, I think my first of all for me, it's just to grow as a as a manager and as say. Um, get the team to grow as well. As we said, it's our first year um, with an under-19 girls team. So just to compete in the league and knowing that everyone has worked hard, be it myself um, or the girls, that we've done as much as we can do to give us the best opportunities, um, be it with the National League or girls going on maybe to represent Ireland or whatever that case may be. And um, I think the, the hopes is that We'll just do a cove and say our former schoolgirls or whatever clubs we've played with proud. Um, and we marked that on Sunday by warming up in our the former uh, schoolgirl league clubs. So girls like with their former clubs just warmed up in their jerseys and stuff. Just as an acknowledgement that, you know, without the grassroots clubs, we wouldn't be where we are today. And that's similar to myself, say, even as a coach with Bandon, um, I wouldn't be in Cove Ramblers now if it wasn't for all the support and guidance that Bandon has given me for the last number of years and still does to this very day. So hopefully from grassroots and National League level that the numbers will continue to rise and uh, that will be a brilliant year for uh, women in sport but particularly um, the girls heading off to Australia in July that they'll, I've no doubt they'll do us proud. Well, you can take the manager out of the Bandon AFC, but you can't take Bandon AFC out of the manager as ever, uh, talking highly of your hometown club and talking uh, so eloquently about women's football. Anya Donovan, we wish you here, everybody on the big red bench, all the success this year with the Cove under-19s. We'll check in again with you later on in the season. But for now, congratulations on the appointment and continued success. Cheers, Jared. Thanks a million. All right, delighted to be joined here by our Cork City boss, Danny Murphy, to talk about, I suppose, a difficult start to the season, but also a, a season that's full of promise and expectation as well. Danny, thanks for joining us in the studio today. Yeah, no, no problem. Been in, as you said, difficult uh, start, I suppose you can put it that way. <laughs> you certainly can. Um, there's no hiding, beating around the bush about it. Beating 6 in your opening day isn't ideal. What happened yesterday? Uh, I think a lot went wrong yesterday. I think, um, you know, you know, like for me, there's a couple of basic things you're doing to play play football, and 
you've got to run around you've got to work hard you've got to win your tackles win your headers win your individual battles and I don't think we did that yesterday as a team I think um, we had a few individuals that done it and you know done well but I don't think as a team that we we showed a good account of ourselves and yeah. I think that's the more disappointing thing like we didn't uh, give a good account of ourselves and you know just sloppy goals individual mistakes and you know the things that we tried to cut out in pre-season and we just don't seem to have learned any lessons from last year really yeah and why was that was that nervousness yesterday first game of the season kind of nerves playing Shelburne what was it yeah I think there's a lot I think them things do come into it but I think like you know you've been playing the game long enough now for some of the girls and you know you know what's needed of you like week in week out and game in game out and you know people say about nervous like but you you should always be nervous like it means you care like if you're going into games and you're not nervous, like I'd be more worried. But like, if you're going into games and you're playing Shelbourne and the champions, like sometimes I feel we're playing against the name and the individuals yeah. of a club instead of actually going into games and be worried about our own performance and knowing that we're good enough to be there. How would pre-season gone before then? It's been brilliant. Like the girls have been really good, and you know, like we were going very optimistic going up to the game on on Saturday myself and James and the staff were very confident you know after watching shows against Athlone we could go up there and get a really positive result and you know we went up there and you know we could have been one nil up after two minutes you know Lauren Singleton had a really good chance and you know she's got to do better there to finish it and if you score in that two minutes like it could have a different outlook on the game altogether yeah. and then at 1-1 we should score again and you're like they're the small little details of you know, your, your little one percenters, if you get them, then is the outlook on the game and the result completely different. But, you know, once they don't happen and you go one nil down and two nil down, it's like, as a group, we've got to do better in terms of the way we can see goals and let goals in. At two nil down at half time, they're still very much in the game. What was the message at half time to the girls and how disappointed were you to then go off and concede four? No, I mean, look, as I said to the girls like, at half time, like, you know, the first half's gone. Like, you can't fix it, can't go back and change it. You know, but like, go out and give a good account of yourself. I don't feel you've done that in the first half. I feel that, you know, you've allowed them to dominate majority of the game, and we we just didn't turn up at times in the game and didn't win our individual battles. You know, I thought, and and I kind of said that to my half time, and you know, I, I made a point of you know with Jess Mendes, like you know bringing Jess back in this year, like wasn't an easy thing to get her in, but. The reason for why we got her in is because of what she done yesterday. We know she can add the aggression and do the things that a lot of our girls can't do and are probably not willing to do. And, you know, that's why you walk away from yesterday's game and people remember what she did and mm. how well she played. And instead of the result and stuff like that for her, and it's like we need to have 11 players doing that on a more consistent basis. Mm-hmm. Barry Jess Mendes yesterday was there any other positives you could take from the performance? Yeah, I think I think Heidi played well. I think um, you know, she's a young kid, still learning the position but done well. I thought um um I think Avine was decent first half, went off the pace of it second mm. half. Um I think Eva was Eva was Eva. It probably wasn't the performance probably everyone expects from her, but people got to take into consideration she's been out for four weeks and hasn't played any of the pre-season games and only been back training two weeks and to play 90 minutes and mm. you know for me she had an, probably a good game but for Eva it probably ain't a good game mm. You said in the examiner after the match yesterday I know you're probably angry after the result but that your players have been around the league a long time but they are too nice is that the case? I, 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 I have nothing to hire by saying that and I say it to them all the time 
they're all too nice. They won't, you know, make they they don't have a go at each other in case they're upset with each other. And like you can't like in sport in general, and especially in a team sport, like you should be able to say things to each other without becoming personal. Mm-hmm. And you should be able to hold each other accountable. And I think that's the biggest thing. We don't hold each other accountable. And I've said it to them since the first day I come in. Far, far too nice. They want to be friends <laughs> with everyone in the league. And like, you don't need to be friends with everyone. Mm-hmm. Like, you need a small network of friends. And majority of people you play football with won't be your lifelong friends. I, I probably speak to five people I've ever I played football with. And other people I'd say, yeah, they're friends. I know them. If I see them, I'd say hello. But I wouldn't say they're my friends. I've got a small network of people that I still hang with and talk to on a regular basis but I just feel that we go into games and we're afraid to give someone a kick mm-hmm. and like you know the one time we'd done it yesterday against Shields they didn't like it and it turned into a bit of a melee but I'm like we've got to do that more often we need to be horrible like I spoke to a couple of Shells girls and who I'd know and like just kind of and they, when people like playing against us yeah because they think we're a soft touch and so, that has to change and how do you change that that can't be just an overnight thing that has to be it comes from the girls they've got to change it they've got to stop wanting you know they've got to stop allowing people to take advantage of them because I feel that's what they're allowing them to do at the moment they're allowing people to bully them take advantage of them and people are too happy to come down here and play them because lovely pitch nice people like I don't want people coming down here and enjoying being here I want them to go back on the bus and be God, I hate going down to Cork mm-hmm. Like when I played, people didn't want to play against us. Uh, and I'm sure that people, when they come and play against Cork for the men's, they don't like that. But mm. We need to change that and we need to change it fast. You certainly weren't afraid of giving people a kickback in your day. There was a right winger terrified of coming out to turn his cross. <laughs> but I, I, I say it to the girls all the time. Like For me, like I wasn't the most technically gifted player. But like I'd go out onto a pitch now and I was going to make sure whoever I played against had a living nightmare. I was going to make their day the most horrible day ever. I wasn't too fussed about how I performed. Mm. I just wanted to make sure that person didn't get one over me. And, you know, like small little things like my job was to back up Dan Murray. My job was to support Liam. My yeah. job was to give the better players in midfield the ball. And when I didn't have it, when we didn't have the ball, I'd get it back so they could have it again. Mm-hmm. And like, I don't think we we think like that. I think like we, we, we just haven't got that mentality. But, you know, things have to change and whether it be but through personnel or by the girls changing, we have to start making some changes. Do you think they're going to react to your comments yesterday? You also said that you'd rather put out the 16 or the 19s and lose 6 nil every week and bring them on. How do you think the girls will react to, to comments like that? But I said it to the same thing to the girls after the game. I said, like, you know, we've got some experienced, so-called experienced players in the group. And as I said to them, like, you know, is it too late for me to help you? Are you going to change? Like, are you going to change in the way you do things? And I don't know. Like it's down to them to change and start implementing the things that we've asked them to do. And if they're not going to, I think then it has to be a, it's, it's a serious situation that we have to go, right, maybe we stu- do start looking at some of the under-19s we can develop, we can nurture, we can improve and give them a chance and be happy to go out into games down. We're probably not going to get the results we want, mm-hmm. but in two years' time, we'll be in a better place. But that's down to the players within the dressing room and they need to start... But they need to do more mm. you'd also be expecting a reaction from your players in training this week but not just that first home game at Turner's Cross you can't turn in a 6-0 defeat performance at Turner's Cross no you can't and you can't be keep losing games on a consistent basis by that amount of goals and you know as I said to the girls after the game like and I'm not going to like hide things and try and butter things up and make them look good and it's not for me it's not a crisis where we're at it's yeah. the first game of the season it, 
it's not going to be the same starting team that started yesterday that's going to finish the season. There's going to be changes. Things are going to happen throughout the league. But as I said to the girls, like, you know, it can't, it can't always be someone else's fault. It can't be the coach who was there before me and it can't be the coach who was there before him. When you've been to Shells over the last two seasons and you've lost 7-1 and 10-0 and then you lose 6-0, you need to start looking at yourselves and you need to start analysing what you're doing wrong. What are you bringing to the table? And and that's the biggest question for me. It's like, do they go home and think about it? Like, does it hurt that much? Because for me, it does. Mm-hmm. Like, it affects my whole life. Mm-hmm. And it's like, I'm in work today at eight o'clock this morning after yesterday. And I don't, like, you can't focus, I can't focus on that because it's, you know, so it takes over your life completely. And I'm not saying that the girls don't and they don't care, but I want to see more. Like, and I'm going to demand more of them. And, if you don't like that, then it's probably not the right place for you to be. And Galway to come on Saturday as well. I mean, like you obviously have to get a reaction from the players on Saturday. Yeah, we have to do better. We have to we have to um, move the ball quicker. We have to work harder when we haven't got the ball. We have to win our individual battles and our battles as a team. You know, there's parts of the game that we're just too slow with the ball and we're taking too long. There's certain players that didn't work hard enough. And the thing is, the problem is now, like, there's nowhere to hide because we have GPS. Mm. So you see those stats, there's yeah. nowhere to hide and you can see on all the stats that you get from Scout and from Huddle and there's nowhere for people to hide anymore and you know I'm not going to have conversations with people for not working like, they just won't play um, Dermot Usher has come in to take over the club how have you found your dealings with him and what's his interest like in the women's team and bringing the women's team forward I think it's brilliant I think um, Dermot's been really good and listen, the people who were here brought me in were good to me as well mm. so it wasn't like a drastic change in terms of where things was they were supporting me trying to help me get to where we girls wanted to get to and Dermot's followed that on and he's tried to add a few extra things to it and you know when I've come to him about stuff that we need or some support he's been there to help us and help us try and grow it and he's really big on letting everyone understand that like, it's not a women's and a boys section it's one club like mm. you know we call ourselves Cork City Women's but we're Cork City FC mm-hmm. you know but for him like I think it's been good. Like it was out of the game yesterday. I spoke to him after the game, and you know, calls me after the games. What, how'd you get on? How the things? Who done well? What you know? And he has a really big interest in it. And you know, small little conversations with him yesterday, and it's interesting because the conversation me and James had to the conversation me and Dermot had yeah. was very similar. So we're obviously not we're seeing the same things. And look, we do have a lot of young girls, but so do shells. But they look physically stronger and more like women mm-hmm. and we look like girls and I think that at times we, we got bullied a little bit that needs to change quite obviously um, Cork City men's team have gotten great crowds this season a sellout against Bowles and 5,000 against UCD which I don't think I've ever seen in my lifetime um, how important would it be for you guys to get a massive support I mean like we saw a couple of years back the last game of the season over a thousand people and came up out to watch City played the last game of the season so there is that support there it's just getting them into Turner's Cross and getting them to, to, to support the team Yeah I mean look I was at the game Friday night and I couldn't believe the amount of young girls that were at the game mm. so there's an interest there's girls wanting to go and watch games but are the parents more interested in watching the men's games over the girls mm. games and I think look for us as a group as a the women's side of the club we need support we need to grow the club and to make it as big as it possibly can be which I know it can get to Results make a difference because people want to come and see a winning team and that's just people, yeah. in general people will. But
but we need their support to get to that level. We need them coming into games. We need them. You know, we have a drive for a thousand for one k as well next Saturday, and if we want to try and hit them targets, and if we can get that next Saturday and we can put on a performance, then hopefully, then people come back again. And mm. we, that's that's the thing we we've got to do better on the pitch, and then hopefully that that people will start coming to games because there's some there's good football to watch. It's enjoyable. There's a good atmosphere. You know, there's young a lot of young girls in Cork playing football. But to get them better and to help them develop as young kids, they need people to look up to. Mm. So they need to come out and watch games so that they can see the games and have players that they can go, I want to be like Eva Mangan. I want to be like Abby. I want to be like this player. And you know, for them to have them players to look to is something that will help them younger girls improve as well. Excellent. Danny, uh, pleasure talking to you today, buddy. Thanks for coming in and uh, very best luck for the season ahead. Brilliant. Thanks. The Big Red Bench. Saturday and Sunday from 6pm. Cork LGFA senior captain Anne Mornabby's Morrow Callahan spoke to me on this week's Big Red Bench to look ahead to Cork's eagerly anticipated Lidl National League Division 1 clash with Kerry in Parky Ring on St. Patrick's Day. Okay, joining me on the line now is the Cork LGFA senior captain Anne Mornabby's stalwart Maura O'Callaghan uh, here on International Women's Day talking to us on the Big Red Bench. Uh, Maura, you're very welcome back to the bench. How are you? Thanks, Jaron. Good, thanks. How are you? I'm all right. I know how busy you are at the moment, so we'll crack on straight away. Um, obviously, it's International Women's Day, and it's a big day for women, and for, obviously for women in sport, which is what this podcast and what the Big Red Bench are all about. As a Cork senior captain, you've seen um, how important the sport, ladies football, is for young girls uh, and for yourself going up through the ranks, making it to the senior ranks. Um, for any young girls who are thinking about getting involved in it, you'd obviously encourage them to do so because it's one of those sports that they can get a lot out of. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's any sport really at all. It's so good for making friends and, you know, building lifelong skills as well. So I, I couldn't endorse it enough to get involved. And I think, you know, to just keep playing and to just, you'll make friends for life. So it's, it's so important to stay involved in sport. Um, Morn Abbey at the moment are not in action. The the uh, senior championship is still some way off. And I know your, all your thoughts are with the inter-county scene at the moment but you have a new manager uh, former Cork senior football manager Ronan McCarthy um, is taking over the Mornabi team that is a fantastic boost I would imagine for yourself and for everybody inside and outside the dressing room in Mornabi Yeah we're absolutely delighted to have Ronan McCarthy on board you know I mean it's always going to be big boots to fill with Shane Ronan leaving us um, but look he's an absolutely excellent repertoire behind him so we're delighted with that appointment um, and just roll on the um, club season as well I suppose to get cracking with him Yeah you've the small matter of the inter-county season to get out of the way first as you <laughs> well know um, I assume at this point Maura are you a fan of the split season? I ask this of a lot of captains because you know at this time of the year and years gone by you'd have been trying to juggle both in league matches with the club and training with the inter-county at least now you can put all your focus into Cork at the moment and I would imagine that is a benefit to you yeah, I, I'm a big fan of the split season, Jerry must say. I think it's um, been a great asset to, I suppose, any players really who are involved with club and county to be able to, as you said, fully focus um, on your county and then switch your focus to your club. Like, I think it's, it's just excellent to be able to really hone in on each team and, you know, put all your eggs into one basket at the time of, you know, the important games. Indeed, and speaking of important games, Cork are not in action this coming weekend, but on St. Patrick's Day, you have a cracking encounter uh, with Kerry, the Ladies League, National League Division 1 leaders. They've won five out of five. They're going really well with maximum points. Cork aren't doing too badly either, though, Maura. Um, 
playing Kerry this early in the season obviously you're going to meet them in the Munster Championship and maybe in the All-Ireland Championship later on as the season goes on how much are you and the players though uh, looking forward to facing Kerry and does it help having a bit of a lead into it? Yeah, um, I'm where I think I can say that all of the squad are really looking forward to the match against Kerry. Look, I suppose from our point of view, Kerry are the standard bearers in the league at the moment. Um, you know, they're in really good form. So I suppose it's exciting for us to just get a chance to see how we are faring against the um, top team of the league at the moment. And to just, I suppose, take from that what we can and then focus on our prep for championship at the moment because obviously we can't um, progress anywhere with the league. So we're just really be looking at that as a marker of where we're at at the moment and where we need to improve, I suppose. Yeah, but you'd be hoping as well at the same time, or I'd imagine that you'd be looking for a big crowd to come out on St. Patrick's Day. Obviously, uh, Parky Ring being the venue as well, it'd be an opportunity. I know there's a lot of parades and a lot of excitement going on that day. But, um, you know, a four o'clock throw in on St. Patrick's Day gives fans the opportunity to come and see in action against an opponent that you always end up having a cracking game with. Yeah, absolutely. You hit the nail on the head um, there with Astor. I mean, you know, ourselves and Kerry are very familiar with each other at this stage. Um, you know, there's no love lost between us. I'm sure it'll, well, we're hoping it'll be a cracking game between two teams. So it'll be a nice occasion, all right, to get people out on St. Patrick's Day, you know, who um, are short of anything else to do as well and want to go out and watch, a, hopefully, a, um, a good game of football. A very good game of football. They never give it easy to Cork and likewise. I mean, last year's Munster final on Clarence was an absolute cracking match. Um, again, it's the league uh, and you will be facing each other in the Munster Championship and news breaking today, Mara, that that game between Cork and Kerry in the Munster Senior Ladies Football Championship will be a precursor to the Munster Senior Football Championship final immediately after as a double header. That's again another boost and more good news for ladies football raising the profile, putting it alongside the men's final, which is a good thing. Yeah, that's absolutely great news. I mean, anything like these um, double headers like that really do boost the profile of the game and anything to drive more attendance at the matches is excellent with regards, you know, moving in the right direction with the level of supporters there. So these sorts of games are great for anyone who's looking for, you know, to see two fine matches on the same day for the, you know, Yes, and just finally, I mean, obviously, it's uh, you've you've a bit of time between now and the St Patrick's Day game against Kerry. Obviously, training is going on all the time. Mara, how are the panels settling? Because you've had a good run in the league up until now. You're you know lying fourth in the table, um, put in consistent performances, which has been, I think, the benchmark this year. Even the games that you've lost out on, Cork have been certainly involved, pushing Dublin and Parky Ring. You know, going up to Mayo and winning there. There's been a lot of positives so far coming out of this league campaign. We've spoken about the young players that have come in already, but but as the squad is right now, is it settled and is everybody just looking to crack on for the remaining league games and then to push on in Munster? Yeah, I think um, we're all happy enough with the performances that we've given. Like we know, obviously, there's lots still more to improve on. And, you know, I think it's been good to have, like, I suppose, a bit of a stretch of training. You know, the break in the league games has been good, I suppose. Like, I, there's a lot going on with the college games and the Camogie and stuff like that. So it has been nice you know, to focus on a bit of training and then, you know, finish off with our last two league games to see where we're at. Um, so I think the squad is going very well and, you know, having everyone back together to train, especially unfortunately with, 
you know, the UCT guards um, coming out of the Connor Cup Championship, but look, it's great to have them back training. I know they are obviously really disappointed with that, but, you know, it all is building nicely for us to, you know, get as many of the girls together as we can to train on and see how we get on against Kerry then on Paddy's Day. Indeed, and we wish you and all the Cork Senior Football team the best in that game, the Lidl Ladies National Football League Division 1 clash against Kerry on St. Patrick's Day in Parkier Ring with a four o'clock throw in. Best of luck to you, Maura, and for the rest of the season. And thank you for taking the time to speak to us here on the Big Red Bench. Thanks, sir. Miss the show? Grab the Big Red Bench podcast at redfm.ie. Cork's Red FM. Now then, the 2023 Cork LGFA Under-21 Championships got underway last weekend with games in the opening rounds of the ABCD Championships. And we start our roundup in the A Championship with a first round clash between Ahada and last year's champions Mornabi, which ended 6-7-2-6 in Mornabi's favour. It was 4-4-1-2 at half time. Uh, last year's champions Mornabi getting the better of Ahada in what turned out to be a cracking game. Um, scores for Ahada included Brianna Smith with three points, Emer Cronin got 1-1, Mary Leahy got a goal and McC- Sally McAllister and Annabelle O'Brien got a point each. Isabel Colbert, Marie Moran, May Collins, Rachel Leahy, Brenda Smith and Emer Cronin were the pick of uh, Ahada's best players in a game that really was uh, end-to-end stuff, really two very, very good teams going at it from the opening minute. Um, Ahada, in fairness, have kept going to the final whistle with Rachel Leahy, Sally McAllister and Brenda Smith constantly running at the opposition. And special mention as well to May Collins on the Ahada team who made uh, some great interceptions on the day. But from Abbey's point of view, the champions go through to the semi-finals and that's thanks to 2-1 from Deirdre Cronin. Katie O'Toole got 1-1 as did Rachel Church. Molly Burke converted a penalty and Lucy Williamson also raised the green flag. And Morabi's other scores came from Laura Walsh who scored two points. Anna Ryan and Sarah Finnegan who also got a point apiece. Players to impress included Molly Burke who was outstanding at fullback. Kate Williamson at centre-back. Anna Ryan had a massive bat with Rachel Lee in midfield and Emer Walsh covered every inch of the pitch were reliably informed. What that means, Morabi's 6-7-2-6 win over Ahada in the Under-21A Championship. The defending champions are through to the semi-finals where they will face the team they beat to win the A title last year and that's Glanmire. What a semi-final that's going to be. That's on Sunday the 19th of March and on the same day, last year's Under-21 County winners Neva Bond will take on Aerog in the other semi-finals. So two cracking semi-finals to look forward to there in the Under-21A Championship. We move on to the under 21. B Championship and two opening round matches and a quarter final played last weekend. Uh, the first of those first round games saw Valley Rovers overcome Nemo Rangers 6-12 to 1-10 and O'Donovan Rossa uh, travelled to Fermoy and edge a cracking game by a point 1-15 to 3-8. Uh, the outcome of that means those two teams will face one another in the quarterfinals and one quarterfinal was completed last weekend in the B Championship saw Aaron Zone and Bride Rovers uh, put on a scoring fest uh, that Bride Rovers came out on top 5-15 to 5-11. Let's just go back to that Valley Rovers and Nemo Rangers game though because it was close enough at halftime. Valley's leading 3-4 to 1-8 before going on to win 6-12 to 1-10. Nemo were well on top in the opening quarter playing some lovely football but two quick goals from Valley's put Rangers on the back foot and from there Valley's took control in the second half with uh, a couple of more goals put them in a strong position and defended well throughout the final quarter. Both teams deserve a lot of credit though for the style of football played um, and some great scores from both teams. Shawna Cronin was the standout player though for Valley. She scored 5-3 on an half Afternoon. Kim McGuckin got four points. Cleaner Reardon got 1 1. And Leisha Collins and Ava Mulhall got two points apiece. Uh, Kate McEntee also played well, as did Ella Ryan in goal for Rovers. Um, and a lot of under 16s as well involved. Three under 16s uh, involved in that game. 
getting their first taste of under 21 action. Uh, as for O'Donovan Rossa, they edged for my in an absolute cracking game, uh, 115 to 38. Sarah Hurley got 1 6. Mala O'Neill got 3 points. Holly Brickley got 3 points. Emer Byrne got 2. And Aoife Hurley got the other score for the Skibbereen Club. Now, the quarterfinal that was played uh, between Aaron Zone and Bride Rovers, as I said, Bride Rovers edging at 515 to 511. Loads of scores in that, 30 to 26 in the end. Um, Jenny O'Neill made some great saves uh, for Bride on the day. And Amy Corcoran was outstanding in midfield, uh, as was Sarah Casey in a very entertaining game to watch. Now, what all that means is in the under 21B Championship, Valley Rovers will face O'Donovan Rossa in one quarter final, and Donnie's will face Kinsale in a, the other quarter final on that side of the draw. Now, that's guarantees a West Cork LGFA club in the final. Now, I know Valley Rovers and I know Kinsale are not in the West Cork division, but they both of those clubs play ladies football in West Cork. So uh, the winners of Valleys and O'Donnell and Ross will meet either Donnie's or Kinsale in the semi-finals, guaranteeing a West Cork LGFA club into the county under-21 county B decider. As for the other side of the draw, Bride Rovers, uh, by virtue of their win over Aaron's own, will have home advantage in the semi-finals, but they must wait for St. Val's and Clonakilty to meet. And once uh, that game is completed, whoever wins that one will travel to Bride Rovers in the second semi-final of what's looking like a really, really good under-21 B championship this year we move on to the under 21 C championship um, and last week there was a, a clutch of uh, first round games completed um, and starting with Rock Bond who travelled to Inch Rovers they won 2-7 to 1-6 Bantry Blues and Middleton though they played out the game of the weekend it needed extra time to decide it before Bantry Blues emerged 5-10 to 3-11 first round winners uh, Ballinora travelled to Araglen Desmond's Bui and put up a good score they knocked Araglen out uh, in the in that opening round game Drum Tariff and Mallow are scheduled to meet uh, this coming weekend in the first round and elsewhere in the Under-21C Championship in the opening round, Kilshanik had a good win away to Carrigaline, 5-8 to 4-7, while an all-West Cork clash between Bandon and Castlehaven went Castlehaven's way in Bandon, 4-12 to 2-6. Back to that Inch Rovers and Rock Bond game. It finished 2-7 to 1-6 in Rock Bond's favour, but um, Inch played in uh, and a very, very good uh, killer pitch, which uh, was the venue for this particular game. Inch started well, but didn't get a lot of scores early on, um, and it was Rock Bond who changed ends 1-3 to not two ahead Rock Bond got another goal shortly after after the second half and uh, Inch were really battling for, for the remainder of that game despite the loss Inch had some great performances from Neave O'Connor Megan and Chloe O'Donovan Anna and Emily Brenner Grace Rooney Ali Buds Kayla Jennings and Anya Driscoll um, while Inch Rovers uh, Claude Scully Clean O'Connor and Cara Whelan uh, did very very well as well in the second half for Rock Bond though Jennifer Whelan got 1-1 Maria Hurley got 1-2 Aideen O'Donovan got 3 points and Ava O'Brien got a point their standout players included Avril Sullivan, Sarah Hearn, Laura Sullivan and Maria Hurley. Uh, we move on now to another game that was played in that opening round, that fantastic game between Bantry Blues and Middleton, that opening round game down in Bantry. The halftime score, Middleton were leading uh, seven points to 1-3. The full-time score, it was level, 3-5 to 1-11. Uh, at the first half of extra time, Bantry moved ahead uh, by three points, 4-9 to 2-12 and then the Blues kicked for home uh, to eventually win an absolute cracking game, 5-10 to 3-11, but fair play to Middleton, really put it up to Bantry in what was a super encounter. Uh, for the Blues, Aoife Kingston was their top scorer. She got 3-5, while Maeve Salmon and Lainey Barry got a goal apiece. Megan McSweeney got two points, as did Caitlin O'Mahony. And Ali O'Sullivan also added a point from play. And uh, Bantry standout players included Cleon O'Shea, Sally O'Donovan, Zara Barry and Caitlin O'Mahony. As for Middleton, their scorers, actually McCarthy got 2-2. Rachel Quirk got two points, as did Saoirse Toomey-Tagney. And Saif Bosang got 1-5. 
Um, but as I said, disappointment for Middleton, put up a great score, but it wasn't enough on the day. To Bandon, where Bandon and Castlehaven met in an all-West Cork clash that ended uh, 4-12 to 2-6 in Castlehaven's favour, but at halftime there was only a point in it, the Haven leading 1-4 to 1-3. from uh, Castle Haven's point of view, their standout players on the day included Anya Daly, Ellen Maguire and Laura O'Donoghue. And it was Hannah Sheehy who got two of their goals and Ellie McCarthy weighed in with five points. Becca Sheehy and Grace O'Connell got one one apiece. Eilish Bohan got two points. Neva Sullivan, Ellen Maguire and Rhea Wilson got a point apiece. There was a minute silence just held before the game as well uh, for the late club president of Castlehaven, Frank Cronin, who passed away over the weekend. And just a note from Bandon on that, their goal scorers in that game were Kate McLaughlin and Emma Tarrant. And their best players, despite the defeat, were Ella, Ella Cullinan, Kate O'Connor, Aoife Callanan and Katie Allen. Now, the other game that we have information on, that big Ballinora first round win over Ara Glenn. Uh, the scorers there, Kate O'Shea got 2-4. Cleana Dooley got a hat-trick of goals. Louise O'Neill 2-1. Rose Murphy one goal. Uh, Nessa Kingston, Aoife Murphy, three points apiece. And Quiva Murphy also got her name in the score sheet with a point for Ballinora. Very, very good win for them in that particular round. Kilchanig, as we said as well, edged Carrigaline by two points, 5-8 to 4-7. Uh, there was little in it at halftime, Kilchanig, but leading by two points, 3-5 to 3-3, but they kicked on in the second half with those extra goals, making the difference. Um, Carrigaline scores. Uh, it's, uh, Holly Fitzgerald got 3-3, Abby McGrath got a goal, Abby McLaughlin got three points, Eva Hurley got a point as well, and Carrigaline standout players on the day, despite the defeat, Eva Hurley, Holly Fitzgerald, Eve O'Neill and Abby McGrath, who scored a goal in her first ever competitive ladies football game bit of uh, excitement there for her now let's uh, just round up the under 21 C championship what all those first round results mean the quarterfinals are now set um, Watergrass Hill and Douglas each received boys into the last eight and they will meet each other in the quarterfinals um, the game the one outstanding first round game that is to be completed uh, this weekend is between Drum Tariff and Mallow and whoever wins that will be at home to kill Shannig in the last eight Bantry Blues will host Rock Bond and Ballinora will welcome Castlehaven in the other under 21C Championship County Quarter Final finally we move on to the under 21D Championship and a lot of action in this um and this championship to come there's a lot of teams involved uh, a one preliminary round game this past weekend and that was Ross Carberry ladies travelling to Carrick Tool and edging that result 3-11-2-6 one first round game was also completed where Liz Gould uh, defeated Killavullen and unfortunately at the time of recording I don't have the results for Bantier, Mitchellstown or Yall or Passage but we will get those and we'll refer to those in upcoming uh, podcasts um, the opening round as well uh, this weekend Ballonhasig will take on Mayfield um, in one of those upcoming first round games it needs to be completed but as far as the quarterfinals are concerned um, Island Rovers had to give Owendala a walkover last weekend in the opening round Iban Ladies also received a walkover from McCroom as did Ballancolic against St Mary's and what the upshot of all that means is the quarterfinal lineup for this year's under 21D championship Iban Ladies will take on Owendala Ballancolic will meet the winners of Yohal and Passage Liskould um, as we said, a big win over Killavullen. They will host either Bantir or Mitchellstone. And the final quarter final will be between the winners of Ballonhasic and Mayfield um, and Ross Carberry and Gabriel Rangers. Ross Carberry, uh, reward for beating Carrick Tool is a West Cork derby against uh, Gabriel Rangers in the quarter finals. And that game, that uh, in that particular game against uh, Carrick Tool, uh, Ross Carberry got off to a fantastic start. They led 3 5 to 2 1 at the break and then added six more points in the second half to win 3 11 to 2 6. Kellyanne French got 1 2, as did Sandra O'Donoghue. Claire O'Donovan got 1 1. Mary Kate Hennessy, three points. And then Ella O'She- Ellen O'He, Breed Collins, and Lauren O'Donovan got a point apiece. And some of Ross Carberry's standout players included Ellen O'He, Claire Kingston, and Claire O'Donovan. 
the Liskool and Killavolan game. Liskool, Dara Kinnery, uh, a Cork senior player, she got one, two. Eilish Hegarty got four points. Molly Colnan got three points. Laura Murphy and Molly Carroll got two points apiece. And Lily Carroll got a point, as did Gemma Carroll. So um, that's a roundup of each of the under-21 championships uh, that got underway last weekend. A lot of first-rounder preliminary games. The championship's starting to take shape now. The quarterfinals and uh, in all four grades will be decided over the coming weeks. So stay tuned here on the Big Red Bench with me, Jeremy McCarthy, and we'll bring you updates and all the details uh, as much as we possibly can. But big thank you to all the clubs who got in touch to give us this information for this particular segment. And uh, we'll keep an eye on the Under-21 Championship right through to the county finals this year. Lots of action to come. Some cracking games already been been played and even more to come. So uh, best of luck to all the remaining teams in those championships. The Big Red Bench. Saturday and Sunday from 6pm. The family of KMX Jane are hopeful that Spike Island can become more wheelchair accessible and that an exhibition in her honour can go ahead on the island. Kay was raised on Spike and represented Ireland at the Paralympics, winning two bronze medals in the marathon and the 800 metres in London back in 1984. Kay also won the London Marathon Women's Wheelchair Race three times in a row from 1984 to 1986, a record that stood for close to 20 years. The Big Red Bench's Rory O'Hagan has been speaking to Kay's husband, Michael White, about her career, her incredible drive and determination, as well as her family's hopes for the exhibition on Spike Island. Yeah, if I can give you an idea now of Kay's background very quickly. Yeah. She was born in, in uh, Formoy in 1949. Uh, her father was a soldier on Spike Island. That's how she moved from Formoy at a very young age down to Spike, and that's where she was reared. She lived on Spike... Uh, but she went to school in in the Cove, mm-hmm. in the school. And one of the things that she used to have, she was on crutches at that time. She wasn't, uh, she got polio in 1951. I should have mentioned that, of course, obviously. Mm-hmm. But when she was only a couple of years old. And um, she was on crutches. And when she would go from uh, the island to go over to uh, Cove itself, she would have to wait. The, the boat used to be bobbing up and down at the pier. And she would have to wait till it was fairly close and hop off the boat onto the pier. <laughs> yeah. So uh, very early she started getting notions about accessibility and things. I'm sure that's what was was in her head at that time. Anyway, um, all weathers and everything else, that's what she did. Uh, she went to live, she left um, the island very, fairly early. She, I must say she was about 17 and she went up to Cork. And she got a job up in Cork. And we used to joke about the fact that the first four or five jobs in, in, in rapid succession, they all closed. <laughs> she was saying that we used to slag her that she closed more places down. Yeah. It's just she was unlucky with them. But the, to, to show you what kind of a girl she was, she for, for six months at that time, for six months she had no job. Mm-hmm. And she told nobody. So when she got her doll, she had a principle that you always have to save something or whatever you get. And so when she got her doll, which is all she had, she put a pound away. And during that time, then uh, six months, she just lived on whatever she could. She mustn't have had anything at all. But that's the kind of one she was. She was very stubborn and strong and she wouldn't give in. So anyway, that's another little thing in the background that doesn't mean really anything. Um, uh, she went to Dublin then, uh, but I'm not sure exactly what age she was when she was up to Dublin, mm. and subsequently got a job in the uh, civil service. And again, she met. She, she was uh, in those days when when someone in a wheelchair was in the civil service, they were known as three percenters. 
because the government rule was that you had to have at least 3% of your uh, workforce giving them jobs to disabled people or whatever. And so the assumption was that those people were only just put in there. They had no skills or mm. they didn't really earn the job. They were just given the job. They were the three percenters. And she resented that terribly all through her career in the civil service. She did very well. She became a, um, a supervisor and a, you know, she did very well. In the super, but that was another thing with her was the three percent. All of these things were making her... Um, what, I'm not going to say militant. She was never militant. She was the most agreeable person mm. ever met. But she was always on for, for getting things done. Uh, her, her career then started in Cork. She started that. Uh, she was one of the first three people, three wheelchair people uh, uh, inducted, or whatever you want to call them, into Lee Vale Athletic Club down mm. in Cork. She was trained down by um, oh, one of those a football team, Torners Cross. Yeah. I don't know. You probably know Park it. Park City, yeah. That's where she used to do her pushing and train. And uh, it's there that she started her, her career in, in um, racing. She got a wheelchair, a, wheelchair, a sports wheelchair, and she started entering races and things down there. That led her on then to her career in sport. And uh, she won three London marathons in a row, 84, 85, and 86, and the same three races. I'm pretty certain she won in Dublin as well those years. Mm-hmm. She won the Dublin ones too. For some reason or other, they don't have the records of, of the all the, the wheelchair marathon winners in wheelchair men, but not in wheelchair women until 81 or even after that, or 90. Anyway, it's, but I'm sure she won those three races as well. She also won the Dublin Mini Marathon many times, and she also won the Cork Mini Marathon, I don't know, many times, the Cork one. Mm-hmm. And the Dublin one, at, at that time, he used to show you again what kind of a girl she was. She was, um, they used to have a prize for the wheelchair winner. And it would be, it wasn't like a big substantial prize. It would be a washing machine or a TV <laughs> or something like that, you know. And she won it a couple of years in a row. And then she felt that this was terrible, that she was just going down to pick up the flipping prizes. So she didn't go in after that. So, so other people could get a chance to win mm. their uh, the prize. That was okay. <laughs> Um, she 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 started a few other sports for a bit of light uh, entertainment. She started a few other things. At one stage, she took up uh, sailing. She got interested in sailing, seeing as she was down at Cove. And she had a couple of mishaps before she gave that up. One of them was she had to be rescued because um, the boat went under the pier in Cove. Do you know the pier in Cove? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, anyway, she, the boat went under. They had to go and get her out from <laughs> under there. And the even worse one then was another time she was, for some reason or other, she thought the boat went wherever it wanted to go because it was heading out to sea. And they had to get um, the lifeboat. <laughs> they had to go out after her and try and get her back, which they managed to, thank goodness, before she went over the horizon. So that was her. Um, she travelled all over the world with sport. Mm. She won uh, road races. She did a lot of road races. Besides the the big ones like marathons and things, she also went for lots of other road races in different countries and with great success. She was a terrific athlete. And she um, eventually ended up then, like I said, in the, the Paralympics. And in the Paralympics, she won um, uh, a silver medal in the marathon in 1984. And she won a silver medal in the marathon in 1988. 
and another probably our most notable victory in the 800 metres in 1988 in the Paralympics because she was a long, long distance uh, pusher at that time. The shorter distances were for other people, but she won the 800 metres. Did you ever hear of a girl called uh, Tanny Gray? Gray no. Thompson? No. Well, Tanny Gray Thompson is, uh, she's damn Tanny Gray Thompson, one of the best British uh, wheelchair pushers ever, won all sorts of things. But in that particular race, which she should have been finished well ahead of Kay because she was much better time, she, um, Kay beat her. And I know you remember that she, when she came in the straight, they couldn't catch her. She only got a bronze, but she had no right to get a bronze. She should have been seventh or eighth on times. And they just could not get past her. The snots and spit flying out of her that coming up the straight was fantastic. One of our best things. That was a brilliant uh, thing for her. And another thing, but she wouldn't thank me now. I'm feeling like I'm going to get a smack on the back of the head now for saying <laughs> this. She was 39 years old. Yeah. Because she wasn't in her prime. She wasn't in her mid-20s or whatever, but supporters will be at her best. She was 39 years old and still beat them. She was a fantastic woman. Anyway, so there. Now, I'm biased because I was married to her, but that's neither here nor there. Where, that could be, I can, go on. <laughs> Sorry. Where did that drive and determination come from, or was it that she just did not want to be defined by her disability? Well, well she was. Uh, that would have been it, but that, that itself came from the same place, where I think she realised when she was younger that she was up against it, which we all do. And we, you, you either... You sink or you swim. Like, for instance, I have a thing with myself since I was a kid, and she was exactly the same. We both felt the same way. You don't accept help unless you absolutely need it. We often wanted needed help, but you don't take it unless you absolutely need it. If you think you can get it over it yourself, you do it. I know myself and she was too, people in shops coming over, naturally, with good intentions, mm-hmm. nice people. Can I give you a hand there? Can I help you there? No thanks, I'm fine. No thanks, I'm fine. And I think that was in her from the time she was small as well. And as she grew up then, she realised what was happening. If she was going to make a mark on the world, she had to make more, not noise. She was very quiet and assuming woman. But not make noise, but you, you've got to make yourself noticed. In the civil service, she was the same, because like I said about the three percenters, they tended to give, start her off giving her sort of manual stuff along. She quickly put an end to that. And she was outperforming everybody in the bloody place. She was terrific. Um, as as a person, that's even more. more her, her career was impressive. But her as a person, she was just an unbelievable person. Mm-hmm. She was the most easygoing, nice person. She always had a smile on her face. And yet, when you, she tripped a switch when she went into, into the uh, sports. Whether she was in a race or whatever she was doing, she was ferocious, absolutely ferocious. She would not give up. She came out of every race in bits. Even if she was not going to win a race, that wasn't that often that she'd be well behind. Mm. But if she was, she still came out in bits. Rather than for myself, I did a little bit, little bit of uh, pushing in my time. Mm. And if I knew I was going to win, I wouldn't be bothered at all. Like if I'm going to be finished sixth, seventh, or eighth, to hell with that. Yeah. I would just take that easy looking forward to a drink where that she would just go, go, go. Oh, she was fantastic. Yeah. Then as you got on, then obviously the sports, when the sports started to go out, 
she got involved in um she that's where it came back to the the stuff like uh having to hop off the boat and all of those things that started around the road to disability matters she um she got involved in in uh, as a kind of a what would it be an activist and advocate mm-hmm. for people with disabilities she joined a place called um Blanchard Town Centre for Independent Living. We were living here in Bullhood at that time for years, well, until she passed. And um, she joined up with them, and she was on the board. And that's where all the stuff happened. She used to go out all the time. She'd be going on the road. She'd be looking for accessibility um, surveys. Mm-hmm. She'd bring people with her, and she'd be with other people. They'd take note of all the footpaths and all those things that need to be done. And then she'd go and approach people, whoever the, the government body or local authority was involved. She'd be approaching them and going in with one of her colleagues and letting them have it. And um, yeah, that's just the way she was. She was fantastic. Mm-hmm. But now to get on to the, the Spike thing. Mm-hmm. She, was from, she was from Spike. Like I said, she was reared in Spike. And it's a grand place. Have you been to Spike? Yeah. I'm sure you know. Yeah. Yeah. The fort up there and all the rest. Well, mm-hmm. you can you can very badly if they they now are advertising that it's accessible on their um, blurbs, their their sheets that are given out. That's accessible. It is not accessible. It is not. It's it's very far from accessible. I'm not going to knock them completely because they seem to have the best of intentions. They seem to have the will to maybe do something about it, but they're not actually turning that into any kind of action. We went and, and myself and Anne, her sister, you know Anne. Mm-hmm. Well, anyway, and uh, myself and Anne went and met them. And they were very uh, encouraging what we, they said to us about they want to put this uh, tribute tour in the uh, in the fort that's there, you know, in the, in yeah. the big building. But it, it was fine. The place was first of all they wanted to put it up on the top, the, whatever floor is up. But they've no lift, so that was out of the question. But there's no point in having a, a tribute to um, someone in a wheelchair if people, other people in wheelchairs can't go and see it. So they were going to put it downstairs uh, somewhere. But regardless of that, they still were going to do it. But it, it had to be accessible. And from the the jetty, when you get off on on uh, Spike from the jetty of Cove. You have to, there's a steep hill. Yeah, you, yeah. you probably know it. <laughs> well, a person in a wheelchair would struggle up that hill. Most of them wouldn't do it. Even Kay and our prime wouldn't be able to do it too well. But the bus they have is not accessible. And that's a big oversight. I mean, we spoke to them at the time. It's only a question of getting a bus that has even one place or two places for wheelchairs to go on to, like they have on, I can go down the street here in, in Dublin and get on the bus because there's a, a ramp going in for a wheelchair. And they, all they had to do was have something similar there so that people in wheelchairs, because it's only five minutes up that hill. Mm-hmm. And so therefore, even if there was three or four wheelchairs, they could do it in turns and it wouldn't really take that much time at all. That's, what, that's an easily... Uh, sorted problem, but they still haven't done it. And they're saying that the cost is a factor. That's the initial thing now that's being pushed. But the overall thing is that you should be able to, accessibility is not being able to access somewhere if you treat people with you. That's not accessibility. 
and you won't consider anywhere as accessible if you have to have uh, helpers or uh, backup to be with you. What a real accessibility is when you can do it yourself. For example, here in in, in Ireland, there's uh, ramps to get with people in wheelchairs on the trains. You know, the uh, ramps that are on the platforms. Yeah. And there's nothing wrong with that. It means that you can get on. But I've traveled fairly much around Europe and in European uh, railway stations, there's a thing that looks like a shopping trolley over against a wall. You just unclip it and wheel it over to beside the, the uh, train where the entrance onto the train. You lock the side of it and then you turn a little handle and a, a ramp goes onto the train and a little one comes onto the ground beside the train and you wheel yourself on. It's not uh, it's not a big deal at all. It's uh, I'm sure they might have insurance issues because if you don't put on the brakes properly or whatever, you could find yourself in serious jeopardy. But that's what's there. and They're making efforts. Those kind of things we don't seem to think of here. But anyway, so what's needed that is initially is the bus, which is an easily sorted problem. But in the main, what you need, not just for her, not just because it's Claire McShane and not just because somewhere people in wheelchairs need to get accessibility. But the, the, the fact is that if you have a tourist attraction that everybody wants to go and see, you've got to make it possible for everybody to go to see. And everybody means people with disabilities as well, not just wheelchairs. People who have, have ambulance, you know, um, walking wounded, as we used to call them, as people in wheelchairs call them. People who have um, walking sticks and um, old, old people, like myself, and all the rest. They should be able to have access to these things too. And in order to do that, you've just got to make the effort. It's probably going to be a big, costly exercise to make the thing proper. A proper jetty that someone can just wheel down and onto a boat. And at the other end, over on the, the island, to be able to wheel off and get onto that bus to go up the hill. Those two things are probably going to be more costly because you're doing, you're going to have to adjust your the jetty or the pier or whatever they call it. But it's still not uh, not um, impossible, even if it costs a million. In this day and age, you get all kinds of grants and you could go and do fundraising and you can manage it. It takes just the will to do it. And you, you like we're obviously all hoping that it will happen because for an island like Spike to produce an athlete of Kay's caliber, like Kay deserves to be celebrated and and honoured as a famous absolutely. We want we, it would be better to have it on Spike because that's where she was reared as well, mm-hmm. and that's where she would like it to be. But if it's not, it will be somewhere in Cork. She, she deserves it. Let me give you a little side little thing just for a guess. I travelled down one time to her to uh, Cove. Uh, where she was being presented with the uh, Cove Sports Person of the Year Award. And we went inside anyway. And at the time, I didn't know anything other that she was getting this little presentation. I didn't think of it. Until the time to get the presentation came and she was the list of the top three people um, were on the board. She was getting the winner thing. And who do you think might be second in that one? Mm, not sure. For winning the world's three thousand meters, uh, <laughs> Sonia O'Sullivan. <laughs> <laughs> so she has a win over uh, Sonia O'Sullivan nice. to her name as well. <laughs> I love it. As far, as far as I know, um, as far as I know, Sonia's uh, behind us. I'm not. I'm not going to say that now to you officially, 
because it might be sober. Apparently, somebody told Sonia or is contacting Sonia to, to get her support, and I hope she would. Because uh, she's a great lady, Sonia, and a fantastic athlete. Mm. Brilliant. Michael, it's been um, an absolute pleasure talking to you today and learning more about Kay, an athlete I didn't know much about, so I'm delighted I talked to you today to learn more about her and her achievements and her legacy, and, and hopefully the situation spike gets sorted and uh, she gets the tribute she deserves. Michael, thanks very much for talking to us today. And thank you for, for allowing me on. Thank you very much, Rory. And if you need me for anything in, in the future, you only have to call. Miss the show? Grab the Big Red Bench podcast at redfm.ie. Cork's Red FM. AFLW expert and Aussie rules coach to the stars, Mike Curran, is back on the Big Red Bench to give us his expert opinion on all the latest on and off-field AFLW news. Mike has over 20 years' experience of the AFLW, playing, coaching and managing, and remains an integral link between future Irish AFLW stars and a first contact for all those Irish women currently under AFLW contracts in Australia. Thrilled to welcome back to the Big Red Bench our resident AFLW expert, AFLW Ireland's Mike Curran, coach to the stars and expert on all things AFLW. Uh, great to hear from you again. How are you? Very good, Jerry. All good. How's yourselves? Busy, like yourself, well, nowhere near as busy as you, but very busy. Uh, I always have to kind of preface that with, with the person that I'm speaking to. Um, it's the new season, as we've said already, uh, on the big red bench. The AFLW season is a long way off, but there is so much to happen between now and then, and already things are moving, and things are moving in different directions. I'll put it that way to you, Mike, leading you in. Let's start with a summary of the priority signing period. So for people who are not familiar with AFLW, what is the priority signing period, and why is it so important? Okay, so the priority signing period, the PSP, this is what we mentioned a couple of weeks ago. This was the new sting in the tail of the announcements that were made. And it basically meant that the expansion clubs from last season were kind of given priority access to all the players before the actual signing trade takes place. So that's taken place across the last eight days. There's still a couple of hours left in this. So at time of recording, what I'm telling you is correct, but anything is liable to change here. But in terms of those um, moves, we did see some big moves. The biggest move of all, I suppose, was was Collingwood superstar Chloe Malloy going off to Sydney Swans on a massive five-year deal. So that's the first time we've ever seen a five-year deal for uh, for a women's player. And of course, she catches up with Scott Gowns, who's the head coach now at Swans and was formerly her assistant coach at Collingwood Magpies. So that was the biggest move of them all. And that was the first move that was announced when the PSP period opened. Next up, we had Hawthorne, of course, who are not averse to pulling off a big move, famously having secured Aileen Gilroy at the last minute last season. They made a raid on the Brisbane Lions. They went for three of their top players. They've ended up um, taking two of them. Emily Bates, who was the former league best and fairest, a brilliant player, and Greta Bodie, one of their star forwards. Um, they also tried to get Caddy's Fark. That didn't work out, but they've come away with two of the three lines they've gone for. And I think two out of three ain't bad, as Mitlov once said. The Hawks will love that. I don't think Craig Starsovich will love it as much. He's after losing two of his top premiership players. But of course, as we mentioned a couple of weeks ago, the Lions could have lost up to five players. So they've lost two. So it definitely could have been worse there. And then across the rest of the teams, uh, the big teams to lose out, Adelaide Crows lost their star forward, Ashley Woodland, who's gone to crosstown rivals Port Adelaide. And Port also nabbed uh, former All-Australian defender Janelle Culperson from Fremantle. So they've got a couple of big players in there. And um, so far, in terms of the big players, or the big teams and losing players, Melbourne Demons, have significantly not lost any players. So this could have omens for the season ahead. They've maintained the foot squad so far, as have North Melbourne Kangaroos, interestingly. And to close out on the PSP then was Essendon. And 
potentially not taking full advantage of the priority signing period or maybe it was strategic, but Essendon haven't signed any players during this time, despite having concessions to do so. So that's a quick summary of the madness of the last seven or eight days. Two questions on that, Mike. Are you surprised by Essendon's, Essendon's stance? And do Brisbane Lions have a depth of a squad that can you know, take these hits and come back and challenge once again next year, this year? I'm a bit surprised with Essendon. As I say, it might be the way it worked out or it might be strategic. and They may have a plan heading into the sign and trade period or to the draft. Um, so that remains to be seen. In terms of Brisbane, yeah, look, I think no one's going to be delighted to, to lose two players of that quality, uh, especially when they would have assumed that all the expansion stuff was done and dusted from last season. So they were premiership uh, contenders. They were grand finalists. They were within a few points of Melbourne. Melbourne haven't lost anybody. The Lions have lost a couple of players. So they'll be sad to see the two girls go to the Hawks, of course. But I've no doubt that the Lions squad is significantly strong enough um, to to drive on. And obviously there'll be probably new players coming on across the next couple of weeks there as well. But it's a major, major boost for, for Hawthorne for sure. Yeah, certainly is, and they certainly need it. So this is, I suppose, what the priority signing period allows. It allows big players to move to teams who may not have done as well, franchises have not done as well over the last year or two, and gives them a boost and gives them a chance to move up the ladder. But we'll see when everything starts, when the ball, when, when the ball is finally kicked, we'll see when the dust settles and what um, various squads and, and, and uh, are made up of. Now, this Friday, the signing trade period begins. What are you expecting from this, Mike? So this is the big one, I suppose. This is where the real magic happens and the main main moves happen, lots of movement expected across a 10-day period uh, from the 10th to the, to the 20th and the most exciting part I suppose for us to look forward to and to me especially because I'm working with a lot of these players but there will be, and this is just a teaser because that's all I can say, <laughs> but there will be mul- multiple Irish signings announced across the next week or two across multiple clubs and very excitingly that will include a number of clubs signing or announcing the signings of Irish players for the first time as well, so that's all I'm going to say about that, but there is a hell of a lot going to happen across the next 10 days. And this is the traditional period, the sign and trade period, where most of those moves happen. The PSP we just talked about was uh, was an extra thing that was introduced this season. So this is where the real action and activity will happen, and there will be um, announcements and moves on the hour, I'd say, across the next two weeks. But most interestingly, those Irish announcements, or the first of those Irish announcements coming up. So basically, you're telling us, don't miss next week's uh, Big Red Bench podcast, because you will have news for us. That's for sure. Do not miss next week. Do not miss any week from now on in. I tell you, it's heating up already. <laughs> There's the hook. There's the sales pitch. We got him. Um, well, I wish you well over the coming days and those, because I know how busy you're going to be, but it, it's exciting times, isn't it? Great, uh, Mike, to see the increase in the number of, potentially the increase in the number, I, I won't say anything in concrete, because I don't know, of Irish players going over, because I think, Am I right? Have, have players seen the likes of Vicky Wall, uh, Breed Stack, um, Eric O'Shea from speaking to her? She speaks so glowingly of the experience over there. Why wouldn't somebody want to take this on? 100%. Look, at, uh, I suppose all the Irish players have made an impact across the seven seasons so far, but those players that went across last season, many of them very late in the day, have made a massive impact. Vicky, Eric, Blahin, McInwin in the Premiership, as we mentioned time and time again here, um, Orla Lally, Anya McDonough, every player made an instant impact and I think um, the interest was high here as it was, but that definitely stoked the interest uh, to, to new levels. And it is exciting. There will be more Irish players. We don't know what the final number is yet. We have an idea, but there will definitely be more. And as I say, it'll create even greater interest in both here and in Australia when we will see Irish players at 
clubs where there hasn't been Irish players before so there's lots of exciting bits and pieces to fall out of that <laughs> Alright I know I'm not going to get it out of you so I'm not even going to try but I'm looking forward to next week's <laughs> podcast already finally Mike because I appreciate how busy we are right now um, the draft has been announced but what's different about this year? What's different? Well, first of all, it's got a massive title, as always, from the AFL. So we are now looking at AFLW Season 8 Supplementary Draft. If that's not a mouthful, I don't know what is. So basically, we knew this was coming. The draft was going to be different. We were waiting for the date. So that's the most important thing. The date has been confirmed Tuesday, the 4th of April. So I know that seems like an age away at this stage with what's to happen across the next couple of weeks. But that's another big, massive event, I suppose. Um, this is going to be a one-off. The draft is different this year. Previously, the draft would have selected the the top end of the young 18, 19-year-old Australian talent, uh, I suppose. But this is a one-off mature age or overage draft, as they're calling it. And that is to allow an age reset before 2024. And that is as a result of having two seasons in one year in 2022. So there are basically, to summarize that, there's no more talented 18-year-olds left. They've all been um, snapped up last year, so we've kind of skipped a year. So what it does mean, though, is it gives an opportunity to players that might have missed out previously or to players that are slightly um, overage and also obviously means uh, potentially more interest in the the Irish players as well to, to fill that gap. There's two things that are slightly different. Previously, in all the drafts today, each club would have had to have three spots on their list going into the draft. So there would have been delistings or whatever ahead of the draft. This time around, clubs are not required to keep spots or add players to their list at all. So it remains to be seen um, how many spots are available uh, at various clubs heading into the draft. And for the first time as well, players are going to be allowed to nominate for their state, which has traditionally been the way it has always been. But now, this time around, you can nominate for a national pool. So this is allowing a player to be considered by all 18 teams in the competition. And I suppose this is also another move closer to what will become a national draft across the next couple of years where all players will be open to all clubs to be considered. So they're the the two big differences, I suppose, in terms of the draft. We have the date. The nominations don't even open for another week or two. So that's a, a bit away yet, but just so people are aware of the date and it's on the horizon. So we've had PSP. Now we're going to have sign and trade for the next 10 days. And then after that, the focus will turn to the draft. And that is the last opportunity then for players to be signed at clubs and for clubs to fill out their list before the season begins. Yeah, because after all you've just mentioned there that happens, then we move into the preseason and then we start seeing teams get together at training camps whatever and then the build increases increases and before you and I know it season 8.0 is upon us um, I know the next 7 days are going to be crazy for you so I'm going to do you a favour and we're going to cut a chart now and <laughs> on, on the promise that you're going to come back next week to the big red bench mic and give us some serious news about a lot of Irish players making their way over there Absolutely Jerry. looking forward to it Thanks very much that's Mike Cran AFLW Ireland our resident AFLW expert here on the big red bench lots of excitement lots happening in the AFLW world even though the season is still some way off and we'll be back again next week with all the latest news The Big Red Bench Saturday and Sunday from 6pm Resident Red FM Formula 1 expert Sarah McKenzie Foley joins me on the Big Red Bench to discuss all the latest on and off track Formula 1 headlines around the 2023 season You can find more of Sarah McKenzie Foley's expert Formula 1 analysis on her active social media accounts on YouTube, Sarah McKenzie F1, Instagram, MacGram underscore, and on Twitter, MacTweets 
underscore. Delighted to be joined now on the line by Corks Red FM's Big Red Bench resident F1 expert Sarah McKenzie Foley to look back at the Bahrain Grand Prix and also say a big congratulations following her radio debut this past weekend on Corks Red FM. Sarah, congratulations. It went very well. Thank you. Yeah, delighted to to join both Aidan and, and Rory on the, the two days of the weekend. So hopefully we'll get to do lots more of that during the season. Yes, indeed. Uh, well-deserved, well-earned and uh, very informative. So anybody listening to Cork Street FM, uh, Big Red Bench between 6 and 7 at the weekends on Saturday and Sunday, any time around the F1 uh, Grand Prix are on, uh, you will hear Sarah McKenzie extolling all the best things and knowledge and news and, of course, her love of McLaren and one particular driver. But we'll talk about him in a minute. But we have to start with Bahrain and the Bahrain Grand Prix and the 1-2 for Red Bull. Uh, your headline, new season, but same story as Red Bull dominance, uh, a dull percent seeding and I, I agree with you on that we were hoping for maybe Aston Martin might spring a surprise maybe Ferrari would know what they're doing uh, unfortunately neither of those things have worked out but Red Bull doing Red Bull things one two and fully deserved sir absolutely uh, we had a very disturbing quote from George Russell yesterday where he actually said that he thinks Red Bull are going to win every single race this season oh, I think shocking. that probably yeah I sent that I'd say that probably sent the Mercedes AMG Patronus PR team into uh, a bit of a spiral <laughs> to be honest once he said that but look it feels like that doesn't it yeah. I mean you know Toto Wolf was on saying we need to bring our upgrades quicker than originally planned but he thinks that you know they're looking at maybe getting three tenths out of that they're at least six tenths behind. So, you know, you're talking about even halving the gap and it just, it's, it's, it's impressive. Uh, certainly I think massive congrats to Adrian Newey in particular, who we've spoken about on the podcast before for, mm. for designing that Red Bull, because it is just streaking ahead of everyone. Uh, yeah. I'm aging myself here now, but as long as I'm, well, the majority of my time that I'm watching Formula One, um, Adrian Newey's name just keeps popping up. His his ability mm. to design, his ability to get ahead of the curve, pardon the pun, in terms of uh, designing cars and getting that extra, just that extra percentile ahead of everyone else. It's just amazing. Um, mm. And I think from watching a lot over the weekend on and off, stability is the key word I would put with Red Bull. I mean, you know, the one, two, you know, first on pole, control the race from start to finish and I think as uh, as their owner said shortly afterwards uh, on Sky Sports F1 this time last year they had no points after the first race so things were looking really mm. difficult this is the it's the best possible start they could have asked for they got it they have a stable car and they are only they can only control the controllables all around them there's question marks after the weekend mm. lots of question marks even for the teams that did well but not for Red Bull and is it that stability Sarah that you believe even after one race putting your head on the chopping block can Max be stopped if, if this continues I am not particularly optimistic about anyone stopping him uh, I think I think we know that he is if you know that's Max Verstappen's team I think he would always come first even if there were to be an inter-team battle I think that you know, even even his radio messages yesterday, I think, were very telling because he did have an issue kind of partway through the race, and they, the, his his engineer checked on him a little while later because he hadn't heard anything, and he said, "Yeah, it's still there, but you know, I'm dealing with it." If that was Max Verstappen two seasons ago in the middle of a title fight with Lewis Hamilton, he would have been roaring, barking down the radio, screaming for you know, some sort of solution. And I think that's really, really telling. They absolutely cruised it yesterday. 
They did, um, and where I was hoping Ferrari might might uh, on the opening weekend of the Formula One Grand Prix, as we had done in our uh, we had spoken about, sorry, in our prediction, in your predictions of the previous podcast, this is the time to catch Red Bull in the opening weekend. Where maybe there's some gremlins, maybe there's things that might go wrong in the opening weekend, but it was just wasn't wasn't the case. Even without, even with the restricted wind tunnel testing, <laughs> this is the thing. They are still you know streets ahead of everyone. But Red from Ferrari's point of view, uh, Sarah, just very briefly. Science, I agree with you, look very average. He just mm. wasn't at the races, pardon the pun again. But Leclerc, I mean, like the, an engine failure, an engine problem on the opening weekend, just when, you know, you want to keep, you know, Aston Martin down as much as you possibly can. They're the rising team. I mean, it was mm. just a bad weekend all around. Yeah, it was really just kind of one to forget for them and not really in any kind of dramatic way. You know, obviously, even though Leclerc did have that engine issue, it just they just sort of faded into nothing, um, which was really disappointing. And I think, you know, Mercedes weren't great either, but I feel like Ferrari has have this kind of expectation about them where people expect them, expect something and it just isn't coming. And unfortunately, because of the particular issue that Charles Leclerc suffered, he's actually potentially looking at engine penalties already because he essentially are only allowed two ES elements per driver per season. And his other ES was changed pre-race due to concerns that they had with that. So now two have failed. We're in the first, you know, we're just after the first weekend of the season. Typically, you don't see this, this until much, much further down the line. And I just, I really do hope that that's not a bad omen for the rest of the season for Ferrari. Yeah, I'm just going to park that and move on because I don't want to dwell. I don't want to take up our, our valuable time with Ferrari morning. You know that. You've heard, you've listened to enough of my morning and there's a long season there. Let's just leave that one there. On to the next one. Let's talk about some positives. Aston Martin heroics. Now, I'd heard all the good vibes. I'd seen the times in testing. I'd seen the qualifying, the, the pre-qualifying and Bahrain. And I was kind of thinking to myself, yeah, I know Alonso's good. He's got a good car. Yes, Stroll, who knows, with his broken leg, broken mm. ankle. God knows what's wrong with him. But even at that, Aston Martin delivered, sir. They absolutely did. Um, you know, we, as you say, we we're all kind of on the Alonso hype train uh, throughout <laughs> throughout testing. And up until Saturday, he pulled it out of the bag on Saturday and then he did it again Sunday. I think the race would have been very boring uh, had he not been, you know, involved in in those multiple scraps with Science, Hamilton, Russell. You know, it was it was great to watch. And it's uh, I have to say, you know, hats off to Lance Stroll as well. He, as you say, he had a broken toe. He had surgery on his one wrist and uh, pins in the other or broken bones at the very least. And, you know, he did not only the full race distance, but he actually performed really well considering he missed testing. So, look, I think they they appear to be very, very they just appear to have a ton of potential. And I think the energy that's behind them is fantastic. And I think what that will result will do for a team that has struggled over the last couple of years, you really can't kind of put a price on that. It's just so motivating and it's just going to give them so much momentum going forward. And I hope that, I hope that it does continue because look, we need somebody else up there competing. And if it's to be Alonso, if it's to be Stroll, whoever it is, we just want somebody up there. Yes, we and the Drive to Survive executives at Netflix certainly want it because we don't want them procession this year. Um, the race highlight for me, I know you had your own race highlights, I know you were speaking about them on the radio um, on the big red bench this past weekend. Every time uh, Alonso made a pass against one of the big big boys mm-hmm. like Russell and he made a kind of a, let's go, you know, a rebound, whatever, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm paraphrasing here. 
that's that's a driver in happy where he is, knows he's got a good car and has potential. Let's hope Aston Martin can build on it. We finished this week, though, unfortunately, McLaren. Whatever about Mercedes and the kind of issues that they were having, Sarah, in terms of performance, reliability, and just overall, McLaren now are in serious, serious uh, trouble. Yeah, it, it didn't look good at all. I think they're in a tough position because they have Lando Norris, who's been at the team for a number of years and is clearly very talented, but just doesn't have the right car underneath him. And then all the drama last year around Piastri, there were huge levels of expectations, I would say, for him as a rookie coming in. And he did okay uh, on Saturday in qualifying and then ultimately ended up retiring early, which is just... It's just so disappointing. You know, he had a a gearbox issue. They brought him in, changed the steering wheel, thought that might fix it. But it turned out to be an electrical problem that they just couldn't, they couldn't fix it. And his race was essentially over at that point. And then meanwhile, just before the race start, Lando Norris was on Sky Sports saying, my car is both slow and difficult to drive, which is kind of the two things you don't want really as a Formula 1 driver. But he then ended up suffering a pneumatic issue where he had to continuously pit throughout the race in order to basically they had to fill up uh, with a kind of an air canister um, to to try and just give him extra life to continue into the race. And at one point I thought, is it worth wasting the miles on the engine for this? But I think it meant so much to them to even have one car finish the race. I think they had to just hang him out there essentially. And it's just... We've been talking about the potential of McLaren for a number of years and it just isn't materialising. No, it's not. And it's a combination of things. And I think Lando, is, uh, his his bad vibes and his uh, totally justified comments, you know, if that's what he's saying after the first race of the year, mother of God, what will he be halfway through? And I, I'll just put an idea in your head now, Sarah, for later in the year. And you can remember where you heard it first. Put Lando in a Ferrari. Put Lando in a Ferrari and watch the kid go. Just a little bit, a little yeah. bit faster, and then get pulled over. Um, listen, <laughs> the Bahrain Grand Prix has the season up and running. Um, it's uh, it's good to be back talking about Formula One. It's good to be back talking about all the various um, uh, pros and cons for all the various teams. The top five from last week, uh, from the past weekend: Max Verstappen in the Red Bull, home with twenty five points. Uh, his teammate Sergio Perez in the Red Bull on eighteen. Fernando Alonso and Carlos Sainz Jr. Aston Martin and Ferrari in third and fourth, and then Lewis Hamilton. Just before we go, actually, because Lewis. Hamilton finishing in the Mercedes in fifth. Uh, you know, I know he's your, he's your favorite driver. Um, considering all that is not there in terms of upgrades, considering all uh, you know the, the the gap in performance to to the front runners from Mercedes, is fifth not something to be celebrated? It depends who you ask. If you ask Toto <laughs> Wolf, he'll tell you that it was his worst weekend in uh, in racing. I think he was probably just a bit tired and emotional because there's definitely been worse, mm. much worse weekends in recent memory, but. It is. I think it's good. And a big thing that I saw in terms of differences between both Mercedes drivers actually is last year, if you think about their body language in Bahrain and for the first few races, it was chronic. It was so negative. Everything was very, very down in the dumps. Lewis got out of the car yesterday and he was buzzing that he'd had some on-track action with Alonso. You know, he was, he really felt like they kind of got the best out of it. So I think there it's... 
it's basically half half of the kind of public is in the camp of doomsday for Mercedes, and then the other half is thinking maybe there's hope, but uh, I have to. I've put myself in the hope camp firmly because I have to. <laughs> ah, you're starting to sound like a Ferrari fan. Okay, well, listen, um, that that's great roundup again, Sarah. Um, between now and the 19th of March, we'll be back next week on the podcast to preview the Saudi Arabian Grand Prix, which takes place in Jeddah on Sunday uh, evening um, on the 19th of March. But between now and then, where can we find you and your motorsport content? Yeah, so you can find me on YouTube. I put out a new video every week and you'll find me at Sarah McKenzie F1. And as I mentioned before, I also live tweet through most of the live action on uh, Twitter. So you can find me at Mac tweets underscore. And we can now find you on the radio, the national radio station on Cork Shard FM, on the big red bench between six and seven most weekends talking F1. Uh, but between now and the next podcast, uh, Sarah McKenzie Foley, thanks once again for all your expertise, and we'll talk to you soon. Thanks, sir. The Big Red Bench. Saturday and Sunday from 6pm. Monster Hockey PRO Graham Catchpole rejoins me on this week's Big Red Bench to recap the latest Monster Women's Hockey, Monster Division 1, EY League, Schools, Interpros and International News. Plus, we take a look ahead to upcoming women's hockey fixtures. Right, on the line, joining us here on the Big Red Bench for our weekly Munster Women's Hockey segment is the Munster Women's Hockey Piero, Graham Catchball, to take us through another exciting weekend of matches. Loads of goals as well. It's gone goal crazy in Munster Women's Hockey. I don't know, is it the podcast that's gotten interested in it or what's happening? Is it just more attacking? But we have some serious scorelines to talk about this weekend. Graham, you're very welcome back to the Big Red Bench. Um, I'm not wrong about those goals. Yeah, plenty of plenty of goals across uh, Munster in the the last weekend. Um, you know, teams seem to be absolutely racking them up at the moment. Um, and on a positive note, I suppose plenty of Munster teams doing well in the the national league. So I suppose uh, banging in a couple of goals this weekend. So um, yeah, it, it's been a it's been a been a hectic weekend for a couple of clubs and a couple of clubs doubling up as well. Um, so so plenty of hockey um, uh, being played over the weekend and plenty ahead as well. Yes, there is indeed. And as you said, some clubs doubling up on the Saturday and the Sunday. But let's start with Saturday and the Women's EY1 League, one of the most exciting title races for many, many years and a big and an important win for Catholic Institute. Yeah, big one, big big six point weekend for Catholic Institute actually. Um, uh, so so they started on uh, Saturday on on home turf against Belfast Harlequins, uh, a strong six nil victory for them. Uh, Liz Ryan, Leah Cleary, uh, Emma Ryan, Michelle Barrett, Roisin Beckley, and Naomi Carroll with the with the goals. Uh, they followed that up on Sunday with another home victory. This time over Old Alex, who I suppose are are close enough rivals in the table. Uh, this time coming out two nil winners with Laura Foley and Aoife Hickey getting the goals. Um, as you can probably tell, you know, eight different goal scorers over the weekend shows that the, you know, the, the depth that Catholic Institute have at the moment in that squad and goals coming from all over the pitch. So really good to see it. And, and, and another double weekend ahead for them actually this weekend as well. So um, it is certainly a, certainly a busy period for Catholic Institute. It is, and I was going to bring you, I'm glad you brought up that point. It's one thing to win, you know, eight goals in two games and, and two games in the space of 24 hours. But what that's done, Graeme, is it means Catholic Institute are now level at the top of the table with Loretto Hockey Club, UCD, all on 28 points, all with 14 games played. Pegasus are five behind, but they have a game extra played. And as you said, old Alex, it was important to beat them because they have a game in hand, but they're further six points behind. This is exciting. And it's got, as we said, there's four rounds of games to go 
big big matches coming up and this weekend coming is crucial um, for Castle against Institute but they're enjoying a terrific season whatever happens yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, they were they were t- certainly up at the top last year, and I, I suppose keeping that consistency this season, um, in in a season where there has been a couple of comings and goings in in in, in other clubs, um, but Institute seem to have you know had a had a steady squad over over this season, and, and actually a couple of players coming back from longer term injuries as well, who has really boosted them, I think, recently. Um, so it it it's great to see it. Um, they're they're really competing at the top table, a testing weekend ahead now in terms of opposition and in terms of, of travel um, so they, they first uh, play Ards who, who up, in, up in the north up in Belfast um, so that'll be quite a trip on, on Saturday and then uh, assuming that they're they're staying over somewhere in, in, in Dublin to, to face Railway on the on the Sunday as well so a very tough um, t- tough two fixtures against against clubs I, sp- I suppose are mid-table at the moment but um, you know it's always hard to travel um, and, and this place <laughs> in, not only travel but travel and play two games in a weekend it's going to be a real um, strain on that squad it is going to be a real strain but they've shown I suppose Graham from what they've shown a lot of resilience like won eight games out of the 14 so far and they know that they're playing two teams not necessarily in the hunt they're in the bottom half of the table they still have to be beaten but if they can do this the boost it would give Catholic Institute going into the final two rounds then Oh, it'd be huge. Um, it, it really would give them the kind of the edge over the the other teams that I suppose are, are are probably looking at playing each other as well. So probably tougher fixtures for for UCD and and, and Loretto ahead at the moment. So yeah, they'd be looking to to use that advantage, I suppose, and you know rack up the points this weekend, hopefully. And um, hopefully, when we're speaking next week, uh, Jared, that that they'll be top of the table on, on their own. Yes, all the best to Catholic Institute on their travels. Two big games, as you said, Graham, coming up this weekend on Saturday, the 11th of March. They travel to Ards um, in women's EY1 and then on the Sunday, the 12th of March, they're in Dublin to take on Railway Union. Now, we turn our attentions to women's EY2 and Pool A, which involves UCC and a big win for the college last weekend, Graham. Yeah, great, a great win for for UCC over NUIG, and a very important one, I suppose, for for their season. Um, so uh, that they, they won six two against NUIG. Uh, Abby O'Mahony getting a hat trick. Uh, Quiva Perdue, the Irish international, with two goals, and Emma O'Sullivan uh, racking up the goals this season, as we'll, we'll speak about in a while, with with another goal. So, yeah, a great result for them. Um, one they probably would have expected to to uh, get, I guess, get the the, the points from. Uh, but it's it, it, it's always it's a funny one when two student teams meet it's always a frenetic and frantic game and often it's the the team that can keep their composure a small bit better comes away with the the spoils and, and UCC certainly seem to do that on Saturday yeah, good win for UCC. It brings them up onto 16 points. They're still somewhere behind Evoca and Ulster Elks, Ulster Elks at the top of women's EY2 pool A, but a good win and a, conf- a confident, uh, boosting win as well. The, um, we moved to Sunday, or sorry, one other game from Saturday. Apologies. Women's Munster Examiner Cup, Blackrock and Bandon face off, Graham. Yeah, and, and another um, a close encounter between Blackrock and Bandon. So they played the previous week and had had drawn and, and Blackrock up, you know upset things, I suppose, by by winning in, in, in a shootout in that in that particular game. Uh, this weekend, Bandon, I suppose, got a small bit of revenge going away to Blackrock and and, and winning the game two uh, one. Um, so that that sets up, I suppose, Bandon nicely um, at the, in, you know in that pool, I suppose, and looks like you know that they, they they're going to advance from from the Examiner Cup. Group B with with a maximum six points from two games at the moment.
Yeah, good start for Bandon. A very, very good result, as you said, on the road. We moved to Sunday and we moved to our final game from that from that weekend. And what a game. The Munster, the Women's Munster Division 1 Cup semi-final, um, Church of Ireland and UCC. Now, I was following some of the social media posts on this particular game. I'm going to let you describe it as best you can, Graham, but um, a terrific game of hockey and that went to shuttles. Yeah, it's it, it's always very very close between C of I and and, and UCC. There, there's there's never more than one or two goals in the in in the, the final scoreline. Um, this one ending ending one all. Uh, Nicole Clark for for C of I and and Emma Sullivan uh, for UCC. Uh, the game going the the full seventy minutes. Um, you know, uh, and I suppose they were inseparable. So it went to a to a shootout at the end. Uh, C of I winning the shootout three uh, two. Um, but th- those shootouts are always uh, always interesting to watch and always add that little bit of uh, drama at the end of a game that maybe penalties didn't previously. So um, certainly uh, CFI would be absolutely delighted with that victory um, over UCC and, and that puts them, I suppose, through to the um, the, the Women's Division 1 uh, a, a, a Cup um, final um, where they'll meet Harlequins. Excellent stuff. And that is... Uh Sorry, is that the that's the women's Munster Senior? There's a Munster Senior Cup semi final coming up on Monday, the thirteenth of March, that involves uh, Church of Ireland and Cork Harlequins as well. And UCC are waiting in the final on Patrick's Day. That's another competition with a lot going on in it. But the, again, plenty of hockey to be played in that, and a cracking semi final uh, to be expected. Absolutely, Jaron. It, it's it's often quite confusing between the the two cups, I suppose, that are that are ongoing at the same time. Um, so so one is is just for the Munster Division One teams, and then the the Senior Cup, I suppose, is a, is a is a wider competition then uh, that would include the the EY EY clubs as well. So uh, yeah, it's it's great to see. Um, I suppose uh, maybe a bit of diversity as well in those finals as well. I suppose uh, you know we, we we obviously have um, you know CI uh, Harlequins and and in UCC kind of going toe to toe this year so it, there's a good mix in those uh, in those two finals um, I suppose the first one there being um, uh, the, the on Paddy's Day where um, where it'll be a very very interesting um, encounter I suppose um, and, and that'll be a day of, of finals across um, both men's and women's uh, divisions so there'll be probably close to seven finals on that day so we're looking forward to that. Yeah plenty of work for the PRO to be covering on that particular day and lots to, lots to dig into the podcast he said delighted but I appreciate you going to be very busy Graham um, we, let's just look ahead to Saturday the 11th of March because there's some big games uh, we've already spoken about Women's EY1 and Catholic Institute they're on their travels they're joined top of the table with Loretto Hockey Club and UCD and 28 points apiece so big, two big games coming up for them as we spoke about earlier on but in Women's EY2 Pool A UCC have a, a tough challenge away to the Ulster Elks but a win here if they could manage it uh, Graham would bring them up into would bring them closer to Avoca and it would only be the Ulster Elks, Elks second loss of the season it's a big ask it's a it's a huge ask, and uh, and Ulster Elks are going very strong in the Ulster Premier as well. So that they're twelve wins from twelve games in the Ulster Premier at the moment. They're uh, five five wins out of six in EY two. Um, so that they're really having a, a superb season. Um, it will be tough for UCC going there, but I know they'll they'll travel to the to that game. I suppose strong and you know with a bit of confidence as well after um, after their win last week over NUIG. Um, certainly. They 
the top three places are, are very much in their own hands. Um, if they get in the top three, of course, um, the, the, the teams in second and third will, will qualify for a round robin and, and then meet, meet the, the, I suppose the top teams then, um, over a finals weekend. So, you know, very much in the mix there. Um, it will be tough going away to Ulster Elks, but I wouldn't really see UCC out of getting something out of the weekend. Yeah, we wish them well. It's a, a trip up north, but an opportunity, as, as you said, to stay in the hunt for the uh, knockout qualification phase. Uh, and good luck to them. Also, in women's EY2 Pool B, uh, Cork Harlequins are third at the moment. Corinthian way out in front on 30 points, but Queen's University are second on 22. But Harlequins entertain a Galway team that have been struggling, Graham, with the greatest respect. They've only won once in six outings. Now, a win here is vital. Yeah, you know it, it. It's a must this weekend for for Harlequins, I suppose, to to close that gap to to Queen's University. Um, and I'd fully expect them to be taking the the full points um, from from Galway. Um, Galway, as you said, have, have kind of struggled this year, and even domestically in their in the Connacht League have, have have struggled as well a small bit. So, I think um, I think Harlequins are going to be hot favourites for that game. Um, and, and it might be a matter of how how many they put away. Um, as you can kind of see from the goal scoring charts, there's been uh, mm. there's been plenty goals flying in for, for Harlequins of late so I fully expect that to continue this weekend um, at, at home I suppose to, to Galway Excellent stuff um, we also there's some big matches as well this coming Saturday in the Women's Munster Examiner Cup in Group A Ashton take on Limerick in Group B Bandon host Waterford while Blackrock travel to Crescent um, we ha- to finish up the Women's Munster Division 1 is something we haven't spoken about so far this week but Cork Harlequins are top of the table by a point ahead of UCC who are further six points ahead of Church of Ireland and in fourth place Bandon are on 19 um, but this weekend Cork Church of Ireland host Belvedere and it's an opportunity Graham. Um, considering Belvedere struggles, a win here for the Church of Ireland would put them back in the mix or keep would keep them on the coattails of Cork Harlequins and UCC. Yeah, and again, I suppose CFI would be you know expecting to to take the points now. Belvedere throughout the course of the season, and I've seen them a few times, have certainly improved under um, under Brian Attridge. Um, they, they've had had I suppose a couple of players leave the club at the start of the year and going to to, to other clubs and, and and retiring. So it has been a bit of a transition season for, for Belvedere um, certainly CI are going to go into this um, hot favourites and yes as you said like a win is going to take them you know right up behind uh, Quinns and UCC so um, all to play for in Division 1 still um, it looked looks more like a two horse race maybe between Quinns and UCC but certainly wouldn't rule CI um, uh, out of I suppose that, that conversation still Excellent stuff we finish with one of the most popular segments as I'm reminded it's the women's monster top scorer charts and there's been some changes um, Emma O'Sullivan from UCC is now top of the charts on 18 goals followed by Bethan O'Farrell uh, of Cork Harlequins on 17 and Michelle Barry in third another Cork Harlequins player on 15 Abby O'Mahony of UCC is 14 Kate Harvey from Ashton is 13 Olivia Roycroft from Bandon is 12 Yvonne O'Byrne from Cork Harlequins is 12 and then we've Kira Sexton from CFI on 11 another Cork Harlequins player Julia McCarthy on 9 Isabella Mar- Isabel Martin apologies of CFI on 8 and then two more players on 11 and 12 Katie Desmond from Bandon on 7 and a well-known name Quiva Perdue from UCC also on 7 so the goals have been flying in the scoring charts just like the leagues just like the women's EY1 and EY2 and the women's Munster Division 1 Graham it's impossible to call heading into the final few weeks of what has already been a really exciting season lots of hockey to come and lots of twists and turns too I would imagine Absolutely and I think uh, that that goal scoring chart it's been you know it's been nip and tuck 
all season between a few a few uh, familiar faces but there, there's one or two players now who are making a bit of a late surge um, up the chart um, Abby O'Matney there with a hat-trick at the weekend Kate Harvey is starting to get a few goals again and, and Yvonne O'Byrne has been uh, has been very strong in recent weeks as well with a few goals so don't don't uh, don't be too surprised if you if you see a different chart at the at the end of the season um, but certainly on, on all fronts I suppose all to play for and, and I suppose we're coming into the business end of the season now, Jern, and really looking forward to your know, finals weekend on Paddy's Day, and and and, and then I suppose the, the closing of the leagues as well, and how close that's going to be as well. So plenty to look forward to. Indeed, and we'll have Graham Catchball, the peer of the Munster Women's Hockey, with us all the way here on the Big Red Bench. But once again this week, we thank him uh, for his expertise and all his information. Graham, we'll talk to you again next week. Thanks a million, Jern. The Big Red Bench. Saturday and Sunday from 6pm Cork's Red FM Munster Women's Rugby Chairperson Wendy Keenan joins me on this week's Big Red Bench to offer us her expert opinion on all things rugby and review all the latest provincial, clubs, schools and adult results, scorers and upcoming fixtures Plus we have all the latest Munster Rugby and International Rugby news making the headlines Another busy week and a bit in the Munster Women's Rugby scene so who better than the chairperson of Munster Women's Rugby Wendy Keenan to join us on the Big Red Bench to take us through all the latest uh, club, adult schools and uh, international news as well on top of everything else Wendy you're very welcome back to the bench how are you? I'm great sir thanks a million um, Yeah we've a lot to get through so let's just dive straight into it uh, some good news uh, for Munster uh, with six players being selected uh, to represent the Irish under 18s yeah, so I mean that squad is named now for the festival that takes place in England this year. It takes place in April the 6th to the 15th, so a festival of rugby. And these players are going to be training in the High Performance Centre, so they go into camp actually Paddy's weekend. Um, so look, it's great that we have, you know, I mean, a, a girls involved here. So we've Gronya Burke from Ennis, Beth Buttermer from Feathered, Beth would, Beth would have been in the squad last year, Lynn Morris from Killarney, Neil McCarthy from Bantry Bay, Saskia Witchley from ba- Bantry Bay, or both down your direction. Lindsay Clark from Ennis and Katrina Finn is also training there from Ballinac in the Loo. So look, lovely um, to see the girls being considered for the Irish jersey and hopefully they'll make it to that final selection. Um, I know you always want to push Munster Women's Rugby as much as you possibly can. Six on an Irish under 18 panel is a success to me on the outside looking in. Would you have been expecting a few more? Um, I suppose I would, but we have some young players inside there. So, you know what I mean? It is a big ask. You know, you have to perform at that Interpro Development um, tournament that they took place to. Um, we probably underperformed in the first match, you know, put it up to Leinster in the second match. Um, but look, it's a learning curve and every match that they play is experience. So the experience that these girls will get at training at the National Performance Centre, they'll bring that back to their clubs bring it back to our Munster training and we lift the standards down here. So, um, and that's important too. And they're role models. They're role models for those girls in the clubs uh, and for us around the province. You know what I mean? For those minis players coming through, the under-14s, the under-16s. And that's an important part of the jigsaw for us as well. Indeed it is. And as we've said and discussed many times on the Big Red Bench, the pathways now for players have never been better. There's an opportunity if you're willing to put the time and the effort in and you have the skill levels. Uh, for those six players, it's a fantastic moment for them and for their families. Great to see six monster players on the Irish Under-18 panel heading into that tournament in England, as you said, later in the year. Now, also uh, a week in which the Six Nations Irish squad was named. 
Yeah, so um, when you look at that squad, he's included, Greg has included eight uncapped players. Look, we're delighted in Munster. We're going to have both the home matches in Musgrave Park. I'll give him a little plug. First and 22nd of April, um, you know, tickets on sale. We'd love to fill that venue like we do for, for the boys um, under 20s matches. But congratulations to the players involved. Dervla Nicobard, who's a, a really strong into pro performance there. Um, Dorothy Wall, Mae Vogue uh, back in the squad, as is Nicole Cronin. Uh, Enya Breen, Aoife Doyle now going into the, the, the squad there. But in addition this year, there's a bit of a change. So they have their training squad of 32. They've also included 12 players, I suppose, brought into a wider training panel. And we have two inside that. We have Aoife Corey and Claire Bennett. Claire Bennett had a, a very strong performance in the combined provinces. So that's an extra too. And look, I mean, I, I have said that I was a little bit disappointed that we didn't have more people involved in the combined provinces um, considering the performances we had at, at Interpro level and, you know, being back-to-back winners. So, um, you know, we, we hopefully these girls again, you know, we will see them in a green jersey, but I'd like to see a few more being considered. Of course you would, you always do. Um, I think that's a good idea, having, it's, I won't say standby players, but an extended panel considering the injuries and the collisions. Um at, at Six Nations level there's a fair chance that the, those players including the Munster players the additional 12 could well be called upon before the end of the Six Nations Championship Yeah I mean we've seen that already in the men's Six Nations you know the change the morning of matches you know what I mean the day before matches look wouldn't it be lovely if, if you know what I mean Claire Bennett or Aoife Corey got into you know what I mean into, called up into the squad but I suppose having that wider, um, you know, uh, the wider training panel now gives us a better scope for that. We see that we're going to have the development of the high performance hubs within the provinces. They have advertised now for the positions in each of the provinces for those. So, you know, that's, that ball is moving really quickly. So that, that'll be in place, um, which will contribute to this also. Indeed it will. Uh, and good luck to all the Munster players involved in that Six Nations squad that has been named. And we'll be talking a lot of Six Nations in the build-up during and after here on the Big Red Bench and I can't wait for that. Now to domestic matters and lots of cup results at the adult level of Munster women's rugby over the past seven days, Wendy. Yeah, so um, our divisional cup, we'll start with that. So UL Bowes had a, their second team had a defeat over Shannon, 39-7. These were semi-final stages and Skibreen were defeated, defeated by Kerry, 36-31, a very close match there. So that will progress now to the final stages. In our bowl competition then, um, Thurlis had a strong win over Ballancolic seconds, uh, 57-17. And Mallow were defeated by Ennis Kilrush. They would be, uh, I suppose, inspired and, and pushed on by their 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 youth section having their win in the league last week so I'm sure they wanted to add that another uh, competition to their belts and um, unfortunately we were supposed to be looking at our league final um, this cup coming Sunday between Skibbereen and UL that has now been postponed to April so just a few injuries um, so we met both the clubs and um, we've just moved it out so that we can have you know to be good finals in place there with everybody involved Yep, that's a sensible approach and hopefully um, all those players will be ready for when that final comes around. should be a cracker. Uh, you're listening to The Big Red Bench and we're talking Munster Women's Rugby with the chairperson of Munster Women's Rugby, uh, Wendy Keenan. We move now to the school's semi-finals and uh, this com- these competitions have drawn a lot of attention, certainly on social media. Um, I've seen myself and the excitement building around all these games before, during and after. Um, and it's great to see uh, girls at schools level getting to represent their schools and show what they can do as well, Wendy. So you must be delighted uh, once again to see the schools reaching the penultimate stage now. Yeah, I mean, it's just the engagement from the schools week in, week out. It's just been incredible. Um, you know, we just we don't have the staff to keep up with it at the moment, even though I'm a volunteer. You know what I mean? We're dependent on on the development staff for that. And that's isn't that a great headache to have? 
So, um, like, this is, I mean, we're only, this is year two of the competition and we're already seeing the engagement. And I suppose posts on social media, as you said, have been wonderful to see, you know what I mean, the clubs travelling. We've tried to do double headers where possible. So we've had a junior match and a senior match. Um, you know, we're, we're organising the venues um, and that creates a lovely environment and exciting atmosphere around the matches. So look, we're, we're all going home now. We have the, the finals which will take place. The junior final will take place on the 15th of March at 12.30 and the senior final at 2.30, both taking place in Musgrave Park. And we'll go to the semi-final results to so see who is going to be playing. So in the junior level, we had one... Um, Junior match semi-final. We crushed Ida Dingle. We're too strong for Boris Lee. So that was 55-20. And the other one will be played this week, St. Anne's and Bantry, to see who Dingle will face in the final. Dingle's first year in the competition and they're into a final. What a great result, you know what I mean, from the school and for us. You know, another school coming from Kerry, you know what I mean, a non-traditional area in terms of, of girls rugby. At senior level then, St. Anne's Killaloo were too strong for intermediate um, school Killorglan, but they did really well getting to the semi-finals their first year in the competition, 27-5 being the um, result there. And then a draw at the end of full time in our other semi-final, Ordskolvera 12, Bandon Grammar 12. And by the regulations, Ordskolvera go through as they had scored the first try. Very difficult, um, you know what I mean, for Bandon Grammar. But look, an exciting final uh, coming up there, St. Anne's um, Killaloo versus Ordskulvera. So nearly a repeat of last year. So exciting times. But we also did have um, our Emerging Schools competition. So a blitz day that we had in Feathered. And that was just a wonderful day out. And I'm just going to name the schools just so we see, you know what I mean, the engagement that we're getting across. So we had um, Rockwell, Newport College, Bandon Grammar, Cashel, Davis College, Mallow, St. Mary's Mallow, Thomond Community College, St. Declan's, Waterford, St. Augustine's and Colossian Queen. So you just see there that they're travelling from around the province to attend the, to attend these days. They are, and it's fantastic. It's a great idea, actually, for, for the schools that wouldn't be necessarily used to the rugby and getting them engaged in it. But um, just one of the things that, that leapt out of me there uh, from those school semi-final results, Dingle uh, in Kerry. It's fantastic to hear that rugby and girls' rugby is going so well down there. It's just another example of how far uh, Munster Women's Rugby has reached. Um, and good luck to all those teams in the upcoming schools' finals. Uh, as you said, exciting days, exciting finals ahead. We've also had, um, following all the excitement of the Munster Under-14, 16 and 18 league finals, we're back into the Cup straight away, Wendy, and we've got some Cup results from each of those three grades. Yeah, so round one of the cup, we went straight from league finals into the cups. And so they're running back to back weeks, um, you mean to, to run out the season. So at under 18, um, there were wins for Shannon, Ballina, Kalilu and Bruffs. They, they'll all progress, um, to the, to the next rounds there. Um, and then in our plate competition, we've Moy, Mallow, Middleton, Yall, Cove, uh, Dolphin, Skibbereen, Bantry, um, entering into the plate competition. Just a few more results to come in there to add to that cup results, but we'll give a full list of those, um, following next week's round. At under 16 then, we had NS30, Dunmanway Bantry 0, so NS go through. Um, Listol Tralee were too strong for Carrick Thurlis, 22-10 being the score there. UL Bowes Gary Owen amalgamation defeated Killarney 46-26 and Kenturk defeated Kilrush 40-10. Um, and then our development cup, one of the results was um, Fomoy defeated Feathered. So lots of matches there at 16. And then finally um, at 14, and I'm just going to talk about the, the number of tries scored because I think that paints a, a better picture than the scores sometimes just to give people an idea. So Middleton Yall 10 tries, Kenturk 5 tries. Waterpark, five tries. Richmond, nine tries. Gary Owen, six tries. One try for Dolphin. 
Shannon, six tries, um, none for Tralee. So Clonakilty, six tries, um, five tri- tries for Ballina, Killaloo. So that's his Middleton, Yall, Richmond, Gary Owen, Shannon, Clonakilty going through. And perhaps next week we'll talk about the Development Cup at under 14 because we have a whole other competition going on there. But what we're seeing since September, and I think I've m- mentioned a week out, week, a week in, week out, the number of tries that are being scored by matches. And that's the important thing. You know, I mean, we go to matches, no matter if it's international, provincial, club, we want tries to be scored. And we're seeing it day, you know, week in, week out. And that's the important factor for me. Yeah, definitely. And well said. And uh, the fact, the numbers you've been mentioning there of the Troy score, exciting games for people to go and watch if they get an opportunity. And it bodes very well for the pathway for both Munster and Ireland as well. I see play, it's more and more on social media, Wendy, like yourself. I see clubs, schools uh, being more and more proactive, showing video clips and just short clips of people going over for the tries. And it does certainly add to it. And uh, clearly at 14, 16, 18, there's a lot of rugby still to be played and a lot of excitement to come. So look forward to talking about that again next week. We finish this week with news of an IRFU Women in Rugby and a new supportive network. Yes, so this week we saw the um, the launch yesterday of the network here. Um, so we were all in, in Johnston State in Meath for the launch of the Women in Rugby Network set up by the IRFU. And Marie Hughes was the, the lead on that. And it was just a wonderful day. Maeve Lewis, is, who sits on our committee, is going to be the monster lead in relation to this. And I suppose it's just providing a supportive network in, uh, at the moment, a, a male-dominated environment. You know what I mean? We're seeing a change of culture and, you know what I mean, Sport Ireland and, and coming in around this, you know what I mean, with... with you know, enforcing 40% in terms of representation, etc. But I suppose being in the room with people that experience, you know, the same highs and lows and the same decisions and the, and the same challenges is really important. Um, and having somebody that you know that you can pick up the phone and give a ring, you know what I mean, if you need to discuss something um, so we can support each other. And that that's what happened across the four provinces last Sunday on a lovely sunny day. And um, it was just a wonderful event and lovely to be part of it. So hopefully we'll be setting up that Munster initiative now. Um, you'll be the branch from this. And um, we'll have all our Munster um, ladies involved in the Munster network. Yeah, well, it's International uh, Women's Day today uh, when this podcast comes out. And I think news like that and uh, strides being made by the few in that regard are a positive move I think you'd agree on that and we'll certainly keep an eye on it and see how that goes over the time but you can't make change until somebody takes the first couple of steps and I think these are positive steps and hopefully I would imagine somebody in your position that's seen plenty down through the years in the rugby and in, in administration and being involved in the sport Wendy this can only be a good thing if it's carried through Oh absolutely I mean I wish I had had this event five years ago when I was starting off my journey um, and it's important you know we talk about pathways and player pathways I mean there's so much that needs to go on like from a coaching perspective a managing perspective admin you know uh, volunteering on committees both within your clubs within the province and this is a supportive network for all of those people that are engaging in in the women's side of the game and um, and we did have players in attendance as well. You know what I mean? They, you know what I mean, which is important too. I suppose they're looking beyond their their playing days, um, and it's just you know it's really exciting, um, and I'm really looking forward to, to seeing the growth in it. Indeed, as we all are here. Uh, once again, uh, a hectic seven days, to put it mildly, have uh, been brilliantly uh, overviewed there by the Munster Women's Rugby Chairperson, Wendy Keenan, here on the Big Red Bench. Wendy, thanks very, very much for your time, and we look forward to hearing even more news across the schools, adult and underage, provincial and international scene next week on the bench. Thanks a million, Jerry.
That's it for another Big Red Bench Women in Sport podcast. Remember to subscribe to the Big Red Bench on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, and you can also listen online at redextra.ie. Don't forget to tune into the Big Red Bench with Rory O'Hagan, Colm O'Sullivan, and guests between 6 and 7 p.m. on the radio every Saturday and Sunday. Follow the Big Red Bench across all our social media channels, as well as visiting our official website, redfm.ie. The Big Red Bench. Saturday and Sunday from 6 p.m. Cork's Red FM.